I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Lord Miller do for movies. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. We will skip the latest comic book movie and TV news because we will be diving into a spoiler-filled discussion of, wait for it, Bob Persichetti, Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman's 2018 movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain to me something I don't know about Kingpin. And specifically, the breakdown between Kingpin being a Spider-Man character and Kingpin being a Daredevil character. I mean, he was, he was created as a Spider-Man yeah. villain who then sort of got got absorbed into the daredevil world i think it uh, i, I did say yeah. it was frank miller who i'm pretty who sure it was the... I, I wrote about this earlier in the year for um uh the series of character things that i write for and yeah it was um it was basically miller because he'd actually they'd kind of retired him in amazing spider-man um they're like he'd kind of gone off with vanessa and they had actually kind of given him an ending um, was he was he as brutal back then when he was a spider-man character or was not he really i mean it's it's also worth noting that when he was a spider-man character he wasn't called wilson fisk uh it was actually miller in daredevil who gave him the name wilson fisk so a lot mm. of what you would associate with the greatness of the kingpin really does come from yeah um, i mean he miller in daredevil he was sort of a you know, a more campy Silver Age crime boss yeah. in Spider-Man. Yeah. It wasn't until he came back that he became, you know, the kingpin. So that was his deal. He was like, hey, here is a here is a criminal overlord kind of, don't think too hard about it. Yeah. So Frank Miller takes him, makes him a Daredevil character. And yeah. would, you say, would you say at this point, I mean, this year might be an interesting tipping point, actually, but after after he's reintroduced through Daredevil... Does he then start cropping up in Spider-Man again? Does he kind of become like a, a in both yeah, worlds? Yeah, um, and again, I think that is quite interesting because usually when you get that switch, um, you know, a, a character will then become more firmly associated with with the new one. But actually, um, I think after Miller left, they, you know, I don't. I think while Miller was still on his run, Kingpin was pretty exclusively used by him. Um, but then he did start appearing in. Uh, he was in Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, a bit more. Um, kind of through the 80s um, and then sort of again he did go back to Daredevil because I think Anna Senti used him a bit 
Um, Miller did Born Again when he came back in the mid-80s, and obviously he's a big part of that. Um, but then he was just kind of... I think for the 90s, he was kind of bouncing around Marvel. Um, there is even a... He, he even is up against Captain America at one point. Um, right. But, you know, he he wasn't really used much in the 90s at all. And I would imagine, I guess, he must have been in the Spider-Man cartoon. So I think at that point, he'd probably have become more associated with being a Spider-Man villain again. But then you hit the 2000s and uh, Bendis and then Brubaker make him an integral part of their Daredevil runs and obviously the Daredevil movie as well. Mm. And I would say that ever since then, I'm sure he still does turn up in Spider-Man stuff. And obviously he's in this movie, which I think may shift things a little bit. Um, But I would say that ever since the Bendis run, I would have thought of Kingpin as almost exclusively a Daredevil villain and and his concern is Daredevil, not Spider-Man. It's not just that, though. I think it's interesting that obviously in 2018, we have had this third season of Daredevil where Kingpin has been the main villain. We've got this movie that we're about to talk about, which Kingpin is at least the, uh, the driving force villain-wise. Um, but he's also the first villain that you encounter in the Spider-Man PS4 game. And I don't think you can understate the kind of cultural significance that mm. that game has had in 2018. And yeah, he's the first dude you fight, and it's kind of his disappearance that creates the void in New York that all of the other baddies fall into. Um, I, th- I, I find it very interesting. And I... I don't know, part of me cynically thinks, are Marvel trying to reclaim this character from the really, really bloody, brutal side? (laughs) I mean, he's still brutal in all of those depictions, but here are two depictions that are accessible to kids, and Mm. Kingpin has been in Spider-Man in both of them. I do wonder. It's just cogs are turning, you guys. (laughs) The thing is, right... the Kingpin's been around so long, and so he like he's very closely associated with the '90s Spider-Man cartoon, for example. Hmm. I don't, I don't think Marvel have any problem necessarily with like having these conflicting versions flying around. No, I just think it's interesting that they might that they're reintroducing this character to a younger audience after he's sat firmly in a more adult audience sphere for a decade or more. Um, because I don't, when I read comics, Kingpin kind of seems like one of the biggest deals villain-wise from a street level. From like, you're not going to call the Avengers for him, but anyone else, he's kind of like, the, he's kind of one of the biggest threats that you could face. Um, and I, 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 he feels like he would be useful to be able to use in big movies, for example. Mm-hmm. I think we'll we'll come on to it. Um, there is another example, I think, of this film doing something that I feel like is part of a bigger picture and and isn't just there to serve this film. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that. We will get to it. Okay. Um, so as as I said, we'll skip over the latest comic book movie and TV news as we do in all our episodes that focus on no- new movies. If you haven't listened to our latest minisode, you can head there and listen to our thoughts on. Uh, the Captain Marvel trailer, the Avengers Endgame trailer, some other stuff that's not quite as exciting <laughs> but still fun to talk about. Um, yeah, so there's news out there if you want to listen to it. But what we're going to do is, as always, we will talk spoiler-free for a short amount of time. 
Uh, so if you haven't seen the movie, don't get spoiled. You can still listen to this section to hear what we think about the movie. Uh, we'll then play you a bit of the trailer and then we'll come back with our full spoilery thoughts on the movie and really dig into it because um, there's so much going on in this movie. I think I would probably have to see it three or four times to actually get <laughs> see all of the jokes, get all of the stuff in the background. So I, I'm really looking forward to this coming out on Blu-ray at some point, and I could just sit and pause and go, I did it with one of the clips online. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was pausing the clip and say, so what's on that billboard? Oh, it's an EA Sports water polo game. That's weird and fun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we probably won't be able to spoil everything because we probably haven't spotted every little reference. Um, but we'll we'll probably spoil a lot. But let's start off, guys. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I think it's only fair we start with James. <laughs> James, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't just that you weren't looking forward to this movie. You thought because because we know you're you're dead inside and you are not. I mean, you're not a Pixar fan, are you? You're not generally. This, this is a character assassination. <laughs> well, is it fair that you don't tend to like Pixar movies? Yeah. And yeah. you have displayed on many occasions, have you not, that you are in fact dead inside. <laughs> yeah, but you know, yeah. it's got anything to do with films. <laughs> but um, what was interesting to me, uh, your lack of looking forward to this movie was kind of you thought it looked cheap. Yeah. Are you going to walk that back, or do you still think? Or do you still have a problem with the visuals of the movie? I. <sighs> there are still things about the visuals that I'm like, I don't understand why that choice was made. But also, I think once you're actually in the film, you stop noticing that stuff. I think probably part of it was that the the trailers relied so heavily on selling the visuals, and actually, the film itself has, has a lot more variety in that hmm. than uh, the trailers did. But it's fair to say that overall, you pretty much loved this movie. Oh yeah, I, I five starred it for Den of Geek. Wow, which is a tough. Tough job to do, put it that way. Like, they don't mm. let any movie get five stars. So, <laughs> Seb, five stars for you? I do. I feel like I need to see it again, but I have spent most of the last week annoyed each day that I've not been watching it again. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think because I'm I'm still turning over in my head whether I think it's the best Spider-Man movie, whether, whether it tops Spider-Man 2. And, and Spider-Man 2 is a five-star film as far as I'm concerned. So... Um, I think it is, I, th- I could kind of go so far as to say that it is the film that more than anything else captures the most of the things that I love about superhero comics as a form. It just jams so much of, you know, the joy I get out of reading superhero comics and, and the things that are specific to superhero comics mm. in there. Um, and, th- and that's also why I, I, I you know you asked me the question of whether i loved it and i absolutely loved it the question of whether it's a five-star film i i I, it's a bit like infinity war i find it difficult to talk about it as to whether i actually it's a five-star film in comparison to other films um because the level on which i enjoyed this was separate from the level of is this a great movie in its own right um (laughs) you know i loved this because you know it was just a pure rush of everything i love about spider-man yeah i also loved it uh this is going to be a proper loving um (laughs) 
it's it's hard to put my finger on. I think what what you just said is really interesting because um, I understand that. I think sometimes you think this movie is this movie has been made so perfectly for me mm. that could could I even see the faults if they if they were there. Um, I I think what I love about this movie is not only you know that because I think not in exactly the same way as you, but actually this is this is one of the first comic book movies that I've watched and uh, I've gone oh I do I do know a lot about this and I, I mean <laughs> I read I read all of the I read pretty much well for the first two or three years every comic that spider Gwen was in I've read a lot of miles Morales I read the um spider-verse crossover that some of these characters showed up in um like I have read and enjoyed Spider Ham, like, and I, I and, and, and like, I got references in this. I, you know, like watching a movie like this and like just knowing who Prowler was as soon as he walks onto the screen. I was like, oh, that's that's not an experience I get too often. And so I was kind of loving all of that as well because I feel like I have become invested in Miles Morales over the last three or four years from the comics that I've read and. Uh, and and invested in in Spider Gwen, um, and like wanting to see them done right on the screen, and I felt that I did. But at the same time, I think what's really refreshing is seeing how non comic, like not people who don't fall over every time Marvel release a new movie, basically, <laughs> which is not us. But I I've read critics kind of saying. You know, just when you think that superhero origin stories are the last things you want to see, here's one that comes along and just gives them a shot in the arm because it 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 really does feel different and refreshing. And I can imagine being someone who's gone, God, and at the the Avengers, there's another Avengers movie next year, is there? Okay, great. Oh, what's that? I've been I've been dragged along by my son to see a new Spider-Man movie. I can't... And I can imagine watching this and going, oh, hello. No, I, I get it. I get why... Because not just what you said, Seb, about, like, it appealing to you because this is so much what you love about about superhero comics. I think that I think that will come across to someone who's never read superhero comics. I think they'll go, oh, this is why they like them. This is... This it, because the movie a couple of times kind of says it out loud. It kind of feels like it's the movie is telling you what you guys have told me so many times about what Stanley was trying to get across. Uh, Stanley and Steve Ditko were trying to get across when they first created the Peter Parker Spider Man. Hmm. And I, I, there was a couple of points in this movie that I got goosebumps, like thinking, "Oh my god, this." This mo- this moment is generally moving, uplifting, inspiring, and I feel in every fiber of my being what the movie wants me to feel right now, and it's just such an exhilarating watch. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're right in that the like the core of this movie is like what's what is it that people love about about superheroes and about Spider Man in particular, and it really. I think it it makes that tangible for people who don't necessarily have that as part of their mm. sort of understanding of the character anyway. There's there's one particular element of Spider-Man in particular that this movie 
pulls out and I'll save it for the spoiler section because it's right at the very very end and I actually even as much as I'd loved the movie up to that point and thought it had got everything right up to that point there was a moment where I thought is this going to say something that I feel is wrong um, (laughs) about Spider-Man and instead it, it got it right and I was like oh Right, no, you really have. You've you've got it. You you've got what makes this character tick. And you know that was a. I would say it was the icing on the cake, but then we had the post credit sequence, so it was the <laughs> it was the layer before the icing. It was the marzipan on the cake. I think it does so much right though around just getting getting that superhero stuff right. I think mm. it's a. I think it's a really tightly structured story. I think it's really smart how it manages to tell a Spider-Man origin story at the same time as telling this massive, like, crossover event story. Um, And is funny and mashes lots of, on the surface, tonally different characters together in, in, and I think this is why, James, the movie looks like it looks because you can throw all of these styles together and they all kind of can work in in this animation whereas I don't I don't know how you would do this in a Pixar style of animation or a or like a traditional 2D animation I think it kind of needed to be this funky adaptable animation style do you know what I mean to be able to so basically to be able to do Spider-Ham and st- some of the stuff they do with Spider-Ham and some of the stuff they do with Spider-Man Noir and yet, and yet, still do all of the, all of the Miles Morales stuff, and some of the trippy stuff that is around the kind of big MacGuffin in the middle of the movie as well. I think yeah. that's why the movie looks like it looks, and it just so happens that for me, it's also really refreshing and exciting. And I don't know quite how they're going to treat the next scene visually at any point. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel like there's always something that they could throw at me that I'm going to go, oh wow, that's interesting. Get yeah, me on no, my toes. I agree, I agree. And the character designs, I love the character designs. Um, yeah, I, I tell you, that... <laughs> I was not a fan of the Kingpin character design. That's the only one. <laughs> Very stylized. Yeah, but but, but stylized in a way that's yeah. I mean, the the rest of the film is stylized, but I think Kingpin is stylized too much in comparison to the rest of the film. If you just had one or two other characters that were as over the top as him, maybe. Uh, I was going to say a character name, but then I don't know how many are known to be beforehand. We need to get into spoiler sections. So that we can. <laughs> uh, but no, I, yeah, I don't really think there's another character that's as stylized as him, and so I think, I think certainly he not. Out. Certainly not. I don't think <clears throat> who originates in that universe. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh well, yeah. I mean that obvious exception, but that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, right. Uh, well, I think you know. Seb, Seb has said it. We need to get into spoilers. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, really go off and see it and then see it again. Um, I plan to see this movie quite a few times. It's great. Um, but if you need to escape, escape now. We'll listen to a bit of the trailer from the movie and then we'll return with our spoiler-filled discussion. My name is Peter Parker. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. I saved the city, fell in love, then I saved the city again and again and again. Look, I'm a comic book, a serial, I did a Christmas album, and a so-so popsicle. But this isn't about me. Not anymore. Spider-Man swings in once a day, zip-zaps up in his little mask and answers to no one. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know that. 
You gotta say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I, I wanna hear it. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. That's, That's a copy. copy. My name is Miles Morales. I'm the one and only Spider-Man. At least that's what I thought. You ever hear of the Super Collider? You're gonna love this. Dimension opening now. You're like me. That's impossible. All right, kid, listen up. This fry is your universe. It's soggy, it's weird, it's gross. And this delicious normal fry is my universe. So you want to learn to be Spider-Man? Can you teach me? Yes, I can. Time to swing. Ah, Good, doing you're doing it. it. Double tap to yeah. release and whip it out again. Okay. Whip and release. You're a natural. Whip. Hey guys. Who are you? I'm Gwen Stacy. I'm from another another dimension. How many more spider people are there? Hey fellas. Hello. This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. Okay. We need to get back to our universes soon. Brooklyn is going to collapse. My family lives in Brooklyn. Whoa, 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 whoa. Miles, what's wrong? This was never your city. It's mine. If I don't destroy the collider, none of us will have a home to go home to. Remember, what makes you different? Let's go! Is what makes you Spider-Man. Officer, I love you. <laughs> Wait, what? That way, that way. Other way, other way, other way, other way. Do animals talk in this dimension? Because I don't want to freak them out. Okay, let's dive into the spoilers for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um... Guys, I did actually want to start by talking a little bit about the context of the movie and the people who have made the movie. Um, you never I talk about these people. <laughs> well, not just those. I think it is a it's a very interesting list of people who've been involved. Um, the writing credits are very long. That's because there are lots of people who are involved in creating the characters on screen. Um, so, guys, sort me through this. Brian Michael Bendis, Sarah Bacelli, that is Miles Morales, right? Yep. Yep. Steve Ditko and Stanley is Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. David Hine. That will uh, be Spider-Man Noir. Spider-Man Noir. And Fabrice Sapolsky. Uh, oh, Good hang on. Good question. Um... Is, are they the only well, people who are listed? I was going to say, Tom DeFalco made well, Spider-Ham, right? Tom, Tom, Tom DeFalco uh, created Spider-Ham along with uh, Mark Armstrong. But there's a pretty famous name missing from that list. Go on. Gerard Way. Was he, he was yeah, yeah, Spider-Man yeah. Noir as well? He created Penny Parker. Because this oh. was the, the, fun, the interesting thing. And, and Spider-Gwen as well. Spider-Gwen's creators are missing. I wonder um, whether it's maybe that you can only have a certain amount of credited writers and... Yeah, but if you're going to uh, leave out one of the creators, I'd leave out uh, Noir over Gwen. <laughs> uh, unless, I mean, or does Spider-Gwen count as Gwen Stacy? So... Yeah, very possibly. Not, I don't know, though. It's interesting. But no, I mean, because the interesting thing about... Um, um, 
uh, Edge of Spider-Verse, which was the the mini series that basically introduced all these alternate versions who were going to be used I in the Spider-Verse crossover. All of them. I read yeah. all of them. <laughs> and and they, they're a real mixed bag. Well, well, ahead of time, the assumption was the one to look forward to is going to be. I don't even know how, know how to pronounce SP slash slash DR um, <laughs> Spider. <laughs> I guess. Um, but the point was, it was like, oh wow, Gerard Way is creating a Spider-Man character and and that issue's fun um but you know that would that would have been the one that everyone would have thought would go into the consciousness but um reckoned without the cosplay power of spider gwen that meant that before that issue came out uh well it basically sold out before it came out and go and look up prices for a first printing of edge of spider verse 3 <laughs> um because they're insane i've got i think a third printing um and even that i paid over the odds for um it's you know it is one of the most sought after comics of the last 10 years or so in terms of number of copies that are actually out there versus people who want it um so yeah, so so Penny Parker got you know she's popped up in things, but she got kind of ignored. But it's like, hey, this character was created by Gerard Way. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's weird, just weird that he's not in the list, and that Tom DeFalco not being in the list for Spider Ham as well. I mean, I'm sure it's probably down to some kind of crediting situation, yeah. you know, mm. contracts or whatever. But but let's talk about the people who uh, were not comics creators. So the screenplay is by Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman. Um, Chris Miller is also listed as a producer um, so both Lord and Miller are involved but Phil Lord was clearly more involved because he has his name as a credited writer um, and also Rodney Rothman um, and now Rodney Rothman is uh, a writer and producer uh, he's worked with Lord and Miller before on 21 Jump Street um, he produced a couple of years ago one of the best comedies of the of the last ten years, as far as I'm concerned. Pop star never stop, never stopping. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, wrote uh, wrote twenty two <laughs> wrote twenty two Jump Street, uh, wrote this and directed this, um, and this is his directorial debut. Also directing alongside him is uh, Peter Ramsey. Peter Ramsey is a guy who has a long career as a storyboard artist. Uh, dating back to A Nightmare on Elm Street 5 in 1989. Uh, so he's worked worked as a storyboard artist for a long time um, and directed the animated movie, the really vastly underrated and forgotten animated movie, Rise of the Guardians. That's not the Zack Snyder Owl movie. That is the Alec Baldwin as Russian Santa, Hugh Jackman as the Easter Bunny um Jack Frost fights the Boogeyman movie. Uh, probably a bad script, but really interesting visually um, and interesting that Ramsey works on that. And then Bob Persichetti, who is more of an animation guy. He worked on um, some Disney animated stuff from Hercules through to Treasure Planet um, and then worked his way up through uh, DreamWorks on films like Shrek 2 and Puss in Boots. Um, and he works on the Netflix animated movie The Little Prince, which was released in 2015. And then this is his directorial debut as well. So it's a real interesting mix of talent there, of animation talent and of comedy talent, I would say. Um, and, you know, in Lord & Miller, a talent who have basically made their name on if you think this is a bad idea 
Lord and Miller can probably make a good job of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I kind of feel like that that weird mix of people has proved kind of perfect here. And you know me, I kind of think that anything that Lord and Miller touch turns to gold unless you don't let them keep touching it and replace them with Ron Howard, in which case <laughs> it turns to fine. It's fine. Um but yeah, what what an interesting mix of people and what an interesting movie they've come out with here. Because uh, it's not, it's it really isn't like anything I've seen before because it is, it has this interesting visual style and it is this kind of, uh, you could on one, on the one hand say it ha- kind of has a conventional superhero origin arc running through the center of it. But, but then it, but nothing, nothing else about the plot is conventional in the slightest. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny that you know we said this about Infinity War um, that Infinity War didn't really play by movie rules; it played by comics rules. And this is the same. We've had two movies in the same year now <laughs> that um, really do have an, an approach of, of comics, which is you know to well, firstly, you know to to do lots of stuff with alternate universes and alternate versions and to happily throw different versions of characters at the screen, but also to do it in such a way that you know you your plot will be bobbing along and then a new version of a character will pop up two thirds of the way through, like in a big comics crossover um you know the, the there's no structural there's no three act structure rule to how these characters come in and out of mm. the film. I think that well, I, I think the movie does have a a pretty yeah, conventional it's, free act. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah, dramatically it is more conventional than Infinity War, um, but just more in terms of of what it's throwing at you and so what it's would, expecting you to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I would argue that the thing that it has most in common with Infinity War is is the acknowledgement of this is a big cultural property that that most of our audience coming to this will have some concept of what we're talking about. So you go to Infinity War, and Infinity War basically runs straight away on the assumption of, you know who Iron Man is, you know Captain, you you know at least, if you don't know all these characters, you know most of them. And if you don't know who Thanos is, we're going to... We're going to show you what Thanos is within the first five minutes, and then just run with us. If you don't get certain jokes, if you don't get certain callbacks, that's fine. But broadly, we think you're going to get it because we're a fucking Avengers movie, and we've made <laughs> nineteen of the biggest movies over the past decade. We're assuming that you that you know what this is. We're assuming that you've not walked in from a void, and Into the Spider Verse does that as well. Into the Spider Verse goes. We're a Spider-Man movie, and we're not just a Spider-Man movie. And, and Far From Home did this slightly by skipping the origin. But this movie really leans into it and doesn't just go, oh, we're going to skip over the origin. It goes, no, we are going to lean heavily into the origin and go, do you know what? The origin's fun. We're going to give you it eight or nine different times, but we're not going to make it boring. We're going to make a gag out of it. And um, yeah, kind of kind of make a joke out of out of... We know that you're sick of hearing about Spider. We know that you think there's too many Spider Men. So how about we ju- we show you all of the Spider Men? Oh, another one. Yeah, another one. And w- and we'll make you see how it's fun. Oh, another origin story. Yeah, but look how fun they are. And the fact that the movie does end up being an origin story whilst poking fun at origin stories is kind of fantastic that they pull it off. You know, yeah, I mean that- that's well, that's one of the things that I think is actually it's like 
stealthily conventional about this film is that actually you get a really sort of solid, quite clear character arc for Miles. It's just that it's happening in such a bizarre and unfamiliar context that you almost don't feel like you've seen it before. I feel like Miles's story is ripped straight out of, you know, a screenwriting 101 manual almost, you know. <laughs> you know, he, he you know, he answers the call. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he does he does all of those bits that he needs to do. Um but he does it with just all of this crazy shit happening around him. Um and it and it kind of it and what's what's insane as well is that it works emotionally, and that's that's something that I think that I is something that I always come back to with the Lord Miller movies because I adore Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street, and I don't just adore them because they're hilarious. I care about those characters. I really, I really care about those characters at the end of the movie. Um, the Lego Movie kind of reduces me to pieces towards the end, but um, Tish. Um, <laughs> not James. Um but yeah, I I the movie hits hard for me because I I care about those characters at the end of that film and it's it's something that Lord Miller I think are fantastic at doing about about going let's throw you into this wacky insane world. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs is another good one. I end that movie going the I kind of I kind of feel emotionally invested in the talking monkey to the point where he sees the gummy bears I kind of get this pang and like, oh my god, he's got everything he ever wanted. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen Cloud Ridge and some meatballs, but the talking monkey rips the still beating heart out of a gummy bear. <laughs> I, I've seen it years ago, but I don't remember that. It's great. It's really great, <laughs> you guys. And if you like food puns, watch the sequel. No Lord of Miller in that, but lots of food puns. Uh, yeah, so I, that, was, that was for me the biggest delight of this movie, that it was absurd and it was funny consistently, but at the end of the movie, it's the the sequence. I don't know whether you guys will agree. The sequence for me is when Miles has just created the costume for the first time, and that music is playing, um, and he is kind of and he's swinging through New York towards the final battle. I just yeah I I. It was like a solid minute of having goosebumps, of thinking, oh my God, they have killed this. This moment, it it couldn't have landed any harder for me. And the rest of the movie, I was having a great time and it was fun. But like, I kind of welled up at the fact that Miles had had figured it out. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that he was going to be a superhero. It was that he'd figured his shit out and he... He knew what he wanted to do, and and now he could do it. And the fact that it was driven by the relationship with his dad and his uncle as well. Um, We spoke about this on the podcast before. Daddy issues can get a little bit boring, and the movie does kind of skim over Miles' mum a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think the the relationship between Miles and his dad, Jefferson, is is so well-structured and has such a strong payoff that I mean, I think I, I think by it. putting the uncle in there as well, it it sort of gives it a different feel. Like you get the sense of these two sort of. It's not all daddy issues. It's like he's got these these sort of conflicting, yeah, uh, ethoses. Yeah, that he's, you know he's he can go down either path figures, in a yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, and this is stuff that comes does come from the comics version. 
um you know the whole thing i mean uh, not so much the the stuff with his dad like being a uniform cop but generally uh you know kind of and, the, and that stuff and the relationship with um with, with aaron and so on but i think it's an example of something that where the film actually does it better than the comics and i and i think that's true generally of miles because i like miles and i really love the early miles ultimate spider-man stuff um and i like how he's characterized in that but there has come a point with Miles where his characterization has only really gone so far. And beyond the fact that he's a very earnest kid, um, I don't see a lot of... Uh, now, admittedly, I haven't read some of the team stuff he's been in, like Champions, but I have in his own books and, and elsewhere, I haven't seen a lot of distinct personality that's made him that's that's built on the original promise of those early appearances yeah um i think this version of miles in the film is instantly far more interesting as a character we we get a lot more of a sense of who he is and what he's about and i think the relationship with his family is is better drawn as well um, probably the only thing that's lacking is the the ganky relationship, um, which yeah. obviously you know is hinted at as being done in a different way towards the end. But I think the reason you haven't got that is that that's been lifted wholesale and put in the Tom Holland films instead. <laughs> yeah, um, I wonder if they knew that was going to happen because I it seems like a that's the reason. Mission, doesn't it? And yeah. it's just, and I don't know where there's room for it because he he mm. kind of has to buddy up with all of the other Spider Men. So yeah, I mean, I, I much prefer seeing his relationship with Gwen in this film, which again yes. is a relationship that isn't really present in the comics at all. Um, well, you know, yeah, they did well, something a, a, last year, no, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, a bit, but not in the same yeah. way as it is here. I don't think. Um, I think it's uh, yeah. I just think, I think all that stuff is is really nicely played. You know, I, I think I think he's more interesting in this. I would probably go as far as to say I, th- I think Spider Gwen is more interesting in this than she, than she has been in the comics. Again, it's a case of has her stuff actually built on that premise? Yeah, I'm not certain of that promise. Rather, not that premise. Um, Spider Man Noir. The promise of the premise. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember those comics being particularly brilliant. They were uh, definitely fine. very, very tonally different to what. Well, they're yeah, doing exactly. They, they, yeah. they don't play it as a joke. I was going to um, say, I think Spider-Man Noir was played straight. And, yeah, yeah. And this version, they've really amped up the the comedy of the idea. Yeah, yeah. and obviously, you know, and the same goes for for Spider or whatever you want to call it. I think I think what why it works here is the medium is better for it because she is an animated character anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that is her whole deal is that she's basically a Japanese animation character. So obviously she works in this medium. Um and Spider-Ham is voiced by John Mulaney, so he's actually funny. Perfect. Perfect. Um so so in 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 just about every case, I think this takes these versions of the characters. I think the only character that it doesn't do better than the comics is Peter Parker. And that's not to say I think there's anything wrong with what this film does with its two versions of Peter, because they're both mm. fantastic. It's just really hard to say that any movie does it better than I, know, 50 I years think the of wisest, have done. The wisest thing this movie does, really, is, with its Peter Parker, presents you an, an unfamiliar version of Peter Parker. Yeah. But one that one that you can reasonably extrapolate from what you know of that character. <laughs> well, well, it, it does that twice. But neither yes, version yeah, yeah. of Peter in this is one exact version from the comics. But as you say, yeah, they, they you know, both of them are, are can be direct extrapolations of the the Tobey Maguire version or the comics version, or really an amalgamation of all of them. And all of those characters you just talked about. 
all of the voice performances are fantastic. Like, like I, I came out of this movie thinking, oh, and that voice, and I was like, oh no, I could be saying that about any of them. I think Shamik Moore is really well pitched with Miles. He gets the emotion of the performers across. Who would have thought that Jake Johnson would have worked as any Peter Parker? If he had to be a Peter Parker, it has to be this one. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, Jake Johnson, I like Jake Johnson a lot. So. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, I like him. I thought he was wrong for Peter Parker. I'm still, I'm not fully convinced. Like, Not even this Peter Parker. I mean, I can see him working as this Peter Parker. Peter B. Parker. Peter the schlub. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, he's a little bit too far off what I, you know, I just, it's hard to criticize because obviously in the movie, it's hilarious and it works really well. Well, and I it's think, the, I it's think, the, I piece, think you it's the Peter who kind of has had the, has had the career of the Spider-Man you, you know, up until probably, you know, the, it's probably a good point that they do it with where they kill off the, uh, let's say it, the Chris Pine Spider-Man, Chris Pine Peter Parker. They kill him off. He's like 26. And it almost feels like the Jake Johnson Peter Parker had kind of got to kind of that point and then imagined that everything in his life had gone wrong. Yeah. Just imagine that he had taken kind of the easier route at every given mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, and I, 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 I think could, um, I bought it. I, I think I, I can kind of see where James is coming from in the sense of if there if there's an aspect of Peter Parker that I think an actor like Jake Johnson doesn't necessarily convince as it's the it's the genius nerd and you know <laughs> I sort of I couldn't imagine this Peter being one who would have been able to build the the goober. Um, <laughs> is it a goober they call it? Goober, yeah. The goober, yeah. yeah. I mean, I love the gag about that's what he calls it, and I like the callback to it later on as well with May. Um, yes, uh, but, and you know, because because what's nice there is that even the good, even the the super competent Peter uses that phrase as well. Um, the but, yeah, uh, the Lily the Lily Tomlin voice, Stant May. Yeah, which again, <laughs> wow, <sighs> so good. Um, Haley Seinfeld as Gwen Stacy, guys. Yeah, perfect. Which, Great, enjoyed which, that a lot. <laughs> James, I I hear tell is your favourite character in the movie. Yeah, I would say so. I'm I'm hoping that they are actually doing that spin-off. You know, the Spider-Woman spin-off that they were talking about briefly yeah. before the film came out. Um so, um, unless so, this film tanks at the box office, you'd kind of think that's got to be a home run. <laughs> yeah, I just I sort of feel like the uh it's sort of competent teenage like superheroine is something we haven't really seen a lot of because like she is kind of hyper competent in this movie it's not like Mm. you know Mm. when they do sort of relatable teen girl superheroes where they're sort of you know she is the she is the one conventional superhero in the in the group yeah yeah because the other three that turn up later are all kind of there is a gag almost to all of them yeah, they're it's all almost a bit like skewed. Yeah, you were. Oh, you wouldn't have expected this kind of this kind of character to show up in this movie. Miles isn't there yet, and Peter has lost it. So Gwen is rich. She is the she is the conventional hero in this. Um, and like obviously the the Spider Gwen design is brilliant and oh. it works really well, sort of in motion. Mm. So just 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 seeing that character and all she represents sort of done well like it's just so exciting to me 
and the fact that there is the there's the relationship there that's bedded in between but Miles and Gwen that Miles clearly has a crush on Gwen and Gwen has at the very least some affection for Miles. <laughs> um but it doesn't feel like at any point like her role is love interest. It and it doesn't even really feel like oh I hope Miles gets to be with Gwen. You are you kind of I, I don't know. I was watching it going going. I hope these two characters that I like can can get together because I like them both <laughs> and I and I think it's nice. <laughs> it's um, very paternal of you. Um, and and yeah, I think Haley Steinfeld is a, again a great a great pitch, and she I mean she is generally pretty reliable. I mean she's a fantastic actress. So I mean, one actually one of the things about her character is that. I feel like it's notable that she's not like the straight woman to everyone else's sort of comic foils. No, no, no. Like she, it's, it's, she gets her own jokes and stuff as well. Like she is as as functioning a a character as all the others. Yeah, and also it's nice that she's not just the one girl in the gang. That yeah. like that like it's like all right. So the girl has to turn up and she has to be the serious one. And she and she has to make sure that all of the other goofy ones stay in line. Um, actually, they're kind of as a gang of spider people. The the other five are all. They all kind of, when it comes to spidering, are all pretty closely aligned. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, so it's not like that. Gwen's the one keeping them in line, and it's not like she has to be hyper serious all the time. Um, she's she's kind of having fun along with them. Um, but just happens to be the one who's best at her job, I think. <laughs> um, Certainly she's better than Miles and the, the you know, schlub Peter. Yeah. Um, uh, Seb, you mentioned John Mulaney as Spider-Ham already. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he gets much to do, but yeah, it's just... It, it, I, th- I think they pitch it about right. They, they don't let the joke wear thin. It yeah. probably depends on if you find John Mulaney amusing, but I do find him amusing, yes, so it works. Too. And um, I, we retweeted it. I think Andrew Ellard posted the um, video of John Mulaney performing his Spider-Ham lines is well worth seeking out just to watch Sean Mulaney actually prefer actually speaking those lines and making some of Spider-Ham's noises out loud. I, d- I just Go- wish we had footage of Spider-Ham saying that there was a horse loose in the hospital. <laughs> um, he's uh, he's also um, the, the gag at the end, the um, Porky Pig gag I laughed at more than I should have done. <laughs> I just find Spider-Ham funny, though. Like, I've always found the idea of Spider-Ham funny. And when he, when I've read him in comics, I've always been like, this appeals to my very childish sense of humour. And so, yeah, him pitched with John Mulaney is perfect. Um, Kimiko Glenn um, as Penny Parker and alongside Spe- Speeder, or however, however you say it, Um I think is there basically, like you said, Seb, to do a kind of an anime voice parody. But also knowing Kimiko Glenn, that's not really that she hasn't really gone hugely over the top. I think that, like the joke with her in Orange is the New Black is almost how annoying a voice she has when she first turns up. <laughs> <laughs> so she feels quite pitched, it's quite all pitched to be an over the top um, anime version of a, of a Spider-Man character. Um, and then Nick Cage as Spider-Man Noir. 
I love Nick Cage. I was worried here that it was going to be a joke that I'd seen already. But Nick Cage is not phoning this in. Nick Cage is having a lot of fun imagining he is a 1930s style noir detective. Do you know, do you know what I like about, about Nick Cage is whenever it, whenever it's something like this or something like Kick-Ass, like, there's something about Nick Cage where you look at him and you think he's not in on the joke. Um, he always looks to me like someone who, like why he works is that he just takes everything so relentlessly seriously. And so when you get these things where it's like, oh no, no, he he is in on the joke and he completely gets it. And you know, this isn't someone has, has pointed him at it and and got him to do a serious voice and made a joke out of him doing a serious voice because he's doing a proper now nah, we're gonna get him she type voice it's completely you know um and just nothing an awful like lot of what he's it. doing in Kickass absolutely yeah. nothing but, like but what Kickass he's doing was a similar thing where he just went you know I'm gonna do this Adam West impression hmm. and and I'm gonna do it in such a way I, I mean in in that he. What I really like about his performance in that, I know we talked about it at length at the time, is that he does it as if the character is doing it completely earnestly and seriously. Um, but but you know what he is doing in terms of his performance is an Adam West impression, um, and it, yeah, and, it, and it's the same here. He he just commits to just doing a silly voice, um, and it's an awful lot of fun. Um, I, I'm I'm sure we talked about this on our Ghost Rider podcast back when we did that film, but like I, I just the moment in that film that makes me go. Yeah, it's it was worth Nick Cage making this. Is when he's eating the jelly beans out of the cocktail glass on the bus at the start, and it's just Nick Cage had gone. Okay, so who is this character at this point in his life? He kind of knows it. He's made this. He's just a guy who would be throwing caution. So he's a stunt driver. He just does what's fun. I think he would like to be on this bus eating jelly beans out of a out of a out of a cocktail glass. So he is doing, and. Yeah, he. I, I think you're right, Seth. He he does have that... I think he can be a punchline because he makes so many movies and does a, does from, you know, fairly regularly make some crappy ones. Um, I mean, there's actually... I was, I was just, he's I was great. Like, I just, just came across just, just while... Because I was Google on things that we're talking about while we're talking about. There is actually a, a 2013 interview in The Guardian with Nick Cage, the headline for which is, Nicholas Cage, people think I'm not in on the joke. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's great. He's great in this. Um, and then I, I mean, could run foot through all of the cast. Mahershala Ali is uh, Uncle Aaron, great. Brian T- Tyree Henley Henry is Jefferson, and he's having one hell of a year. As Jefferson is great. You've got Zoe Kravitz as Mary Jane. Um, Catherine Hahn as Doc Ock. Oh yeah. my god, that was my. I think that was my favorite of the villains. And I, I, I was I've a really been good saying, twist. I was going to say, I've been saying to people, you know, see this before the twists and stuff get ruined. And I think it, there are a lot of things that I consider to be twists um, that are character twists, and so reviewers might tend to give them away. I'd already seen, you know, I've seen like Chris Pine referenced in reviews and stuff, and I think that's something that shouldn't be given away. And and Doc Ock is definitely one, you know, that that reveal moment. I had no inkling whatsoever that no, that character was going to be that, a brand new female Doctor Octopus. Yeah, like the thing that's smart about that is that there's no precedent for that character in the comics. Yeah. Like she is completely original to the movie. That and is so true. When it happens, me, the, well, the, this is the thing though when it happens people like me and Seb who think we know it yeah. all are going like <laughs> yeah. oh shit 
and you and you you t- I think you said James like kind of afterwards you know oh should have used Carolyn Trainer which is obviously a bit of a running joke with us the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the female <laughs> Doctor Octopus that was from the Clone serious. Saga. Um, but the, you know the thing is there one the name wouldn't have meant anything to anybody and two if a character called Carolyn Trainer had turned out to be the female Doctor Octopus we would have known yeah, that she was Doctor Octopus. Yeah, the second she was on screen we would have known. Mm. But that thing of you know the, the fact that early in the film, and I don't know if you if you recalled this when her name was said, there is a bit where her name is captioned on screen and her surname is covered up. It says Doctor Olivia, and like somebody's arm or someone's shadow is in the way of the screen in the classroom, and then it just says Alchemax underneath. Um, mm. Incidentally, I, I I like that they used Alchemax for this. It's nice to see. Uh, a you know a big scientific organization being used in a Spider-Man film that isn't Oscorp, um, <laughs> but yeah. So just th- that reveal when she says Olivia Octavius, absolutely brilliant. Um, Alchemax and, and, is also know, in the um, in the Spider-Man PS4 game, by the way, and notably in this movie is the Spider-Man PS4 costume. Yeah, there there are some thought has gone into this. I think. Some thought has gone <laughs> Some into brand synergy. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, but I think overall direction they are thinking about how to position Spider-Man and the fact that this was trailed on the end of Venom. Um, that building, that Alchemax building, by the way, looks very similar to the building that they use for the lab in Venom. I, I, I'm sure it's not Alchemax in there, is it? It's the Life Foundation. Yeah, yeah. But it, it actually, I was surprised that a part of this movie, I was going, oh, it's like Venom. um i i think sony are are very carefully planning out how do we turn this into a franchise um and fair play because this works and i think they've got an animated franchise on their hands Hmm. box office permitting sorry i brought i think i uh not too often your stride there. What were we talking about? Dr. Ock, let's go back to Dr. Dr. Ock. And it, well, it's just, you know, I mean, I, th- I think it's long established what, what my feelings on the character of Dr. Octopus are generally. So, yeah, to get a brand new version voiced by Catherine Hart. I mean, if I had a criticism, I wasn't super keen on the design of, like, the, the, the tentacle arms. Oh, I liked them. They were kind of tubular rather than metallic. Yeah, um, but, no, I'd, yeah, it was great. And her material was great. She made a, She made a good antagonist for them um i really like Catherine hahn so you know voice performance was good um, and it reminded yeah. me of the of the spider gwen comics and the way that the spider gwen comics had reimagined a lot of its villains yeah like with um with matt murdoch being a villain and that kind of thing yeah matt murdoch being a villain and um and i'm pretty sure that they like in spider gwen's universe a lot of the other heroes and villains have been gender flipped like i think captain america is female in Spider-Gwen's universe. Mm. Um, and that was another thing I generally liked about this movie. This movie very clearly sets itself in a world that is not ours. Mm. So it it does chime really with like the with the comics version of Miles Morales that that probably whichever the the Tom Holland Peter Parker, if that's the one that you consider to now be our version of Peter Parker, does exist out there in another universe. Um but this this universe that Miles exists in, it's not a million miles away from ours, but it has some defined differences. And like I say, the 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 Times Square sequence that you see quite a few times, where the the different Spider Men have been dragged into 
and like land on a roof. There's loads of billboards around there. And I was I was pausing that clip and there's like, yeah, there is an EA Sports water polo game. I think there's I think Steph Curry is a golfer or something. There's like a there's like a yeah. St- Stephen Curry, I'm sure I've seen is as, as like a as, as like a sports icon. And there was loads of fun little details in the background about the things that this universe had slightly different. Mm. Um and I appreciated that. I appreciated that it kind of like set out its own little world. And I kind of went, oh, I, you know, when you see Dr. Rock for the first time, you kind of go, oh, I want to see what all of their other villains look like as well. Mm. I mean, I it's, I was, I was, all of them. Um, I don't know if I was disappointed with how they did uh, Osborne as being quite like the ultimate version. I mean, I'm disappointed in the sense of it's not that interesting a version to have him as a big hulking monster. I'm not disappointed because actually it was a way to not have Osborne really be a part of this story at all. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. you know, I think Spider-Man stories can can stand to do sometimes. Um, their version of Scorpion is, is basically the ultimate version as well. Um, the sort of making him a, a Mexican gangster type. Yeah. Um, but do we do we get anybody else in that scene where they're attacking the Parker House? Oh, Hammerhead's There's... in there. Hammerhead's played pretty straight as Hammerhead, basically, isn't he? Tombstone's in the film, but you bet. Sorry, Tomb. Hang on. I mean, I mean Tombstone, not Hammerhead. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and those characters, um, Tombstone's voiced by Marvin Crondon Jones III, who um, was the he's the albino actor who was a villain in Black Lightning. Uh, Joaquin Cosio, who I don't know, was Scorpion, and then Yorma Tacone, who is uh, a third of the Lonely Island, is Green Goblin, which <laughs> was probably the one that I was most surprised by after the film, <laughs> because I mean, most of what he says is in, in, inintelligible. It's just nice that <laughs> nice that it was someone who I liked doing that voice as well. Um, should we talk? Should we talk a bit about the way the movie handles Miles? in the first act and the way that it, well, not just Miles, the way that it weaves this story together, because like I said, I think it's structured really, really tightly. So we get this, we're introduced to the film by Peter Parker and we keep getting these comic book covers. And that's another thing. The film embraces not just comic books, but comic book visuals as well. Yeah. In a way that I think James was worried about. I'm not sure, James. Did you feel like that it was better in execution? Um, yeah, because in the again in the trailers, it makes it look like every sort of action beat is going to have this like freeze frame comic book moment. But mm. actually, it it only put it up at certain points in the film. And there's a major thing that the trailers didn't show us, which was the use of the thought the uh, caption boxes and thought bubbles as a narrative mm-hmm. device which what i love the most about that i love it anyway because it's exactly the kind of thing that's that's right on my street I, I i assume you guys noticed this as well but it's the fact that they only start after he gets bitten by the spider after he mm. gets bitten by the spider he becomes a comic book character and so yeah. he starts thinking in in captions and i loved that as a stylistic touch and again it's something that i don't think they overplayed it um, you know, you, you get it for that sequence kind of while he's discovering his powers and then it pops up here and there, but it, it doesn't become overwhelming. 
But it, um, and it also doesn't feel like a gimmick when it's, t- it's turning up. It feels just like integrated in the style of the story. It, it, yeah, it feels natural because the, the the film by that point has already set out. This is the film that feels like a comic. Um, you know, it, it does that even better than Scott Pilgrim did. Uh, I did think when that stuff started happening, I was like Miles Morales versus the world. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it yeah it, it does it in a way that just doesn't feel oh we've slapped this gimmick on it it's not like the the panels in Ang Lee's Hulk you know it's not this is a comic so we've done this it's it's part of a of a broader picture than that and so it really works. So we are introduced to Peter Parker in uh, the schlubby Peter Parker. Am I right? Is that that is that the first origin we get? No, no, it's no, no, no the first oh, one. Is, is that a scooped Peter Parker? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah, no, do you know what that was? That was me being confused at the start of the movie. Like, literally, I sat down, <laughs> and I think I'd, I've spoken about this before, but the the first five minutes of the film for me were, I, it was a 3D uh, screening of the movie, and it was it was being projected in 3D, but it was only, it they hadn't clicked the button or whatever, so you could only see it in, like, blurry 2d so in the end i just had to take the glasses off and try and like squint to see what was actually going on and i was like is there something wrong with the sound as well because this doesn't i thought it was jake this doesn't sound like jake johnson (laughs) (laughs) um so slightly I think, confused I think in the first because five the minutes. trailers had slightly. I mean, I know that when Jake Johnson's version does his origin, it has some of the same beats. But yeah. the trailers showed us Jake Johnson narrating Chris Pine's bit right, when he's doing okay. the Spider-Man because uh, it's got stuff I like. I didn't actually the, notice that. I mean, I, I think Jake Johnson maybe has some of the same bits. Like, I can't remember if the car going through the window is in both versions, but it's definitely in the Chris Pine version, and so is Stopping the Train, because those are the bits we remember from the the trailer as being the, oh, they're like they're from the Tobey Maguire movies. Mm. Speaking of bits from the Tobey Maguire movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I said to Seb, like, having reprising the Spider-Man 3 dance was the bit where I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to like this film. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally 30 seconds in, I was like, okay, it's got me. I'm done. Yeah. And um, the, uh, the, the Christmas album. Uh, and the Christmas album. I'm really annoyed that it seems that the soundtrack doesn't have Jingle Bells on it. The, the where you get the full version of Jingle Bells over the closing credits, what? it doesn't seem to be on the soundtrack album, which is really annoying. I hope there's we can two, get hold of it somehow. There's two albums there, right? Isn't there? There's a there's the soundtrack and the score. I don't know whether it could be on one, not the other. I don't know. It is uh, great though, and it plays in full over the end credits. Um, and I noticed in the end credits that it had been arranged by Phil Lord. So. <laughs> Makes sense why it's great then, eh, guys? <laughs> um, I really liked that opening because, it, like I say, it, it was that acknowledgement of, hey, you've seen this a million times before and we're going to play with a lot of the iconography you've seen before. We're going to hint that this Spider-Man is basically an amalgamation of everything that you know Spider-Man to be. Um, and then you just... You just you just walk away from him. That's he's the intro, but that's that's it. It's just hey, you know Spider Man. Good, okay. So we get the picture now. Here's Miles Morales. I think and- there's 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 something to be said about how a hyper competent Peter Parker who always wins. It's not that interesting. Um, and it's not that I would just say that that's the case of any comic book character, but you know, it's like 
it's a Peter Parker who wins isn't really Peter Parker, and I think there's that there's there is something quite interesting in that that you know that's the version of the character that this movie is never going to follow because. <laughs> that's just not what being spider-man's all about when when i wrote my review i said something like oh it's a peter parker who's who's loving life and loving spider-man and there were a few comments going like oh finally finally we get to see it it's like <laughs> <laughs> you you don't really get it do you like that's not peter parker like just because you imagine you would love being spider-man that there's no there's no drama or conflict in that like and that's he's... not a functioning character and he's and he's set up to be basically the polar opposite to Jake Johnson's Peter B. Parker, which is it's just a Spider-Man who kind of everything's gone right for him, and he's figured out that power responsibility balance. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone. Yeah, I've got a lot of power. I, I know I've also got a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I think I think I've got it. I've I've yeah. Spend this time here. Spend that time there. Um, but I imagine that. Given that, spoiler, this Peter Parker dies at the end of the first act, um, that's going to be even more of a shock to you if you don't know that the Peter Parker in Ultimate Spider-Man does die. Because I kind of, I kind of felt set up for it after I realised that this wasn't the P- the Peter Parker I'd seen in the trailers. Mm. So I was like, oh, they are doing it. Okay, interesting. Um, I imagine that's a, that's got to be a huge shock. Probably a shock comparable to I don't know when you were reading Ultimate Spider-Man, right? I mean, it they wasn't trailed a shock it for in months. Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a shock when you first heard six months before that that's where the story was going in Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, um, but I think at that point I didn't believe they were actually going to do it. <laughs> like, I, like I am genuinely surprised. I was going to say I'm genuinely surprised that Ultimate Peter Parker died and stayed dead, but he didn't stay dead. He got brought back mm. just before the whole thing got cancelled. In an in an extremely confusing and I suspect truncated storyline. Yeah. A storyline where you basically spent the whole thing thinking this definitely isn't the real Peter Parker. There's no way this is the real Peter Parker come back to life. And then it was just kind of, oh yeah, no, it actually is, and he's gone now. Bye. And then it ended. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> I think there is a there's an interesting difference though. I think between killing off that Chris Pine Spider-Man versus um, the way that they did it in Ultimate, which is obviously in in Ultimate, you know, he's still like. What, like he's about sixteen years old, and I think there is that sense, and it's and it's it's done really well, and it's a and it is a sad storyline, and the way it does the aftermath stuff with Miles, there's some really good stuff with you know kind of what the um you know the hole that Peter's death has left in the world and what he meant to people and stuff. With that, there's the sense of you know he's this kid, he had been starting out as a superhero, he'd done some great stuff, he was gonna go on to be absolutely brilliant. You know, Captain America and Iron Man both feel like you know he was gonna become the best of them, and they were both working in their way to try and train him up and and make him better um and and you know it would feel like that way if they oh no wait they did kill off tom holland's version um but (laughs) with this i feel it's a little bit more well okay it's sad that he died and he was only 26 but he did achieve an awful lot in that time so it's like you can't you can't say he didn't live and you can't say he didn't get the job done and you can't really say well you can say he died i suppose with work incomplete but it doesn't quite. I think it needs to not have that sense of a, a tragic loss. I think I think you need to get over and move on from 
the sudden death of that Spider-Man quite quickly well, so that we can get on with what this film is actually doing. It's, yeah. it's not a traumatic death of Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it actually has to have that balance of it has to make you not care about him. And I actually think it's clever that the way it makes you not care about him is you don't worry about him. He, he's got no angst. Um, and so because you don't really connect with him in that way, you're just like, oh, he's fine. you know. So when he does die, you're like, oh, well, he's died. Um, you know, well, it's I think weird it's to feel also, that about a version of Peter Parker, and it's I not think that they it's make also him the way, either. I think it's also the way they pitch the story, though, because it's very hard to hugely to really, really mourn a Peter Parker that a you don't know, and b you know there's another one, perhaps multiple of them coming because it's called Spider Man into the Spider Verse. <laughs> so it's hard to really mourn a Peter Parker you don't know where you're going to meet another one in five minutes. Mm. Um, but I think the movie, I think the movie does it well. The movie shows the city mourning him uh, because, like, this is a Spider-Man because he's got shit figured out. The city kind of, apart from Miles's dad, it seems everyone, everyone kind of likes him. Everyone kind of thinks he was doing a good job. They're sad, like the fact that um, Mary Jane just comes out and says, "Yeah, it was, it, it was Peter Parker. It was, and this is why he did it, and this is what drove him." And I thought the I thought the eulogy bit was sweet and the way that the city with all the masks and getting Miles into that mask for the first time was was really smart storytelling. Um, And then I love, I love that you go from that hyper-competent Peter Parker to just when Miles needs (laughs) that Peter Parker to train him, what he gets is Peter B. Parker. And Peter B. Parker, whilst he does help Miles on his track... Really, what the story ultimately hinges on is Miles gets Peter to where Peter needs to be. Miles figures his shit out on his own, and then Miles helps Peter. And I think it's a really nice twist at the end because your hero gets to be a hero, kind of on both counts. He's not he's not a hero in the shad in the shadow of Peter, and he's not a hero because of Peter. Miles is a hero in his all in his own right because he got the powers. And he figured it out. Just, uh, just Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
just on because you've referred to it a couple of times and i know the film does this in order to differentiate but all peter parkers are peter b parker his middle name is ben uh, yes, but this is Peter, <laughs> but this is Peter B. Parker because that's how he introduces himself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really loved that. I really loved that. That was the thing that he kind of he imparts on Peter rather than the other way around. And ultimately, this relationship, whilst it is, it's still quite. Uh, there is a kind of mentor mentee relationship between between the two of them, and Peter does care about Miles. Mm. Peter Peter doesn't yeah Peter, Peter is not the key to Miles becoming Spider-Man. Miles is the key to Miles becoming Spider-Man. And I think that's really important that that's the way it shook out. Mm-hmm. I do I think one thing this film does a very good job of is like giving you the impression that sure there are lots of Spider-Men and Peter Parker's the one you know but he's not inherently a special version. Like, he's special to us, but it's not like Peter Parker is better than all of the others. Like, Spider-Men no, think, that are out there. Mm. The, uh, and actually, the only I think the only one of them that you walk away from the movie going, he is special to me, is Miles, because you've gone on that journey with him. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you can... Uh, there's, there's other characters that I like, but like I say, I really did kind of, like, lump in throat, goosebumps towards the end of the movie when Miles figured it out. Cause, because I was like, yeah, well, I've, I've, I've been on this journey with him. And what the movie is saying kind of almost is like, it's not just about this guy. It's not just about Miles becoming a superhero. Mm. It's it's what he's saying and it's what Miles becoming a superhero represents. And actually, I think that this is... This is the closest I've come to to like what to what you said about Stanley and Steve Ditko creating Spider-Man and that idea that anyone can be a superhero. Yes. So and and this is this feels like in 2018 taking that message mm. and translating it and I I felt it. I really did feel it. And this this is the and this is the thing I talked about in the non-spoiler section of the the bit at the very end where I was a little bit concerned that in Miles's closing speech, it was going to be something about like him realizing that you know he was the Spider Man and he's like the one Spider Man of his universe and that kind of thing. Um, and if maybe it's a case of kind of having had fingers burned with the Amazing Spider Man films, which make it that you know Peter Parker <laughs> is special and only Peter Parker could be Spider Man. Because the point about Peter Parker and Spider Man is you know we love the character of of Peter Parker. You know, and it's not just that you could put any character into that. Um, into that costume and they'd be the same um, you know there, there are specific things about Peter that mean we love Peter as a character but the point is Spider-Man is the hero who could be you it's the fact that he's got the full face mask means that anyone can imagine themselves as Spider-Man and it doesn't mean that anyone who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and gets the powers can be Spider-Man because again the, you know the various stories in the comics have shown us that that can happen to other people but they are not Spider-Man but equally Anyone with the right set of circumstances and the right people in their life and the right things that happen to them to teach them certain lessons in their life involving power and responsibility <laughs> can be. And that's what I love that this and that scene in the bedroom, you know, where and where Gwen says something about, you know, that they, they are actually the, the people standing there in the room with him all understand what Miles is going oh, through because God. they've all had that thing of they've all lost somebody, they, you know, yeah. and it's just. 
Um, yes, it's it's striking. It is striking that balance between Spider Man is not just anyone can just pull on the costume and have the powers, but equally anyone can imagine themselves as Spider Man because the stuff that other than getting bitten by a radioactive spider, the stuff that Peter Parker goes through is universal. It's identifiable experiences. It's it's loss. It's feeling like you don't have a place in the world. It's feeling like every time something good happens to you, five bad things happen to cancel it out. You know. So the fact that the movie actually ended on that note of Miles delivering a speech in which he basically says, yes, any of you could be Spider-Man. It's just like, yes, thank you. Thank you. You've got it. <laughs> and also the the, the socio-political kind of cultural significance of yeah. that <laughs> statement Sp- Spider-Man is not a, a white middle-class guy. <laughs> like, yeah. And and uh, that that message resonates so much for Spider Man particularly, but it speaks, you know, to this what you know all the comics gate nonsense about. Oh, uh, yeah. you can't be reimagining these characters. Like, yeah. You can, <laughs> you just can. Is all you need is the essence of a character yeah. to to get it right, um, and. To say that all our superheroes must be white middle-aged dudes, or like, or white dudes who've been those characters for fifty, mm. sixty years, because that is the way it was before. No one's erasing what has come before. This film doesn't erase any Peter Parker Spider-Man. In fact, it adds a couple more into the mix from it. <laughs> <laughs> from that point of view. But what it's saying is, but right now. In this movie, in a movie with all of these Spider-Men, that kid right there, Miles Morales, black and Latino parents, he's Spider-Man. And you know what? That white girl over there is Spider-Man as well, and so is that Asian girl. And it's it, yeah, it's and so is that pit, that animated pig. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. And I do love Spider Ham. I, I got I got quite emotional when you were saying all that, Seb. This is well, this... I, 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 you know, I, I I tweeted this back around the time of Homecoming, and not not even of Homecoming. I think it was Civil War, even. Um, and then uh, I retweeted myself uh, after coming out of Spider Verse that I find it very easy to get emotional about Spider Man. Um, <laughs> there were there for... were literally two points in this film where I got choked up. Only two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it takes a lot to get me there. It does, yeah. But I mean, twice in the... one movie is is what most people get in a Pixar film. I expect. So. Hmm. I don't. I I don't know what this says, but the last time I can remember, like like I say, getting those kind of the goosebumps and going, oh my god, this this film has really got this moment right. I'm so invested in this guy right now and I feel like I'm watching one of those iconic hero kind of I'm there moments. This is my I'm I'm smash it smashing through here I am announcing my arrival is the scene with Michael B. Jordan running up the street in Creed where they've reimagined the the Rocky running up the steps but have just so perfectly reimagined it for this guy. This mm. is he's the hero now and he's and again that's a movie that's so tied up in not just the hero becoming a good boxer it's it's in 
this guy figuring himself out and grappling with his legacy and grappling with who he is, what he can be, um, and all of the people that have kind of fed into him. Um, and yeah, and, and I got that here as well. Um, and maybe it is, maybe, maybe that it, it is a case of seeing heroes in, you know, different shapes and sizes and colors and races than we've, than we've seen before. Because not only with that do we see, you know, I mean, with Creed, you've got, you've got African American filmmaker working behind the, behind the scenes there on it but it just feels like seeing more voices represented and it does it does feel i think to me like more emotional and more inspiring because that is the true it's the true underdog story isn't it it's the it's the story of people who aren't given the representation suddenly being being given that opportunity to be the heroes in these stories and I, I think it works on the, you know, on the traditional. I want to root for this guy even more because the odds are so stacked against him. Like ten years ago, you couldn't have dreamt of a black Spider-Man in a mm-hmm. in, in in a movie of this scale. Mm-hmm. And the fact that now it's like, well, here's the black Spider-Man movie that might have that that might hopefully lead to a spin-off where all of the female spider characters get to team up because that's the thing that's viable now. And I know it's all driven by capitalism, but I said it a million times. Isn't it great when capitalism, like when you can kind of hijack it for good, (laughs) (laughs) like, Hey, we can make money off diversity. Best be diverse then. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the, the, like the, the message that Nike sent out into the world with their ad campaign this year, it was very carefully calculated because they knew that they could sell, they knew that, that whilst the ad would pretty evenly piss 50% of people off and the other 50% of people would love it, they knew that one of those 50% were more likely to buy their trainers <laughs> and were younger and would be buying them for longer. So they made a calculated risk that the sales we lose over there are going to be less than the ones we gain over there. But hey, major company like Nike goes out and has Colin Kaepernick talking about giving up everything and has Serena Williams highlighted as the greatest sports person of all time it's it's crass and it's capitalism but hey if we're hijacking capitalism for good now let's do it let's fucking do it (laughs) and if it gets me 12 spider-men into the spider-verses movies i will be (laughs) delighted and yet guys the possibilities coming out of this film for what they could do they've they've created this ginormous sandbox for themselves my only concern is 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 the quality of this film lightning in a bottle and and do, do you get a load of animated movies that that haven't had as much put into them as this one has yeah and that you know just end up all coming off like the straight to dvd animated comic book movies that um i that i think some of us thought this was going to be when it was first announced um, or the, th- the lego com- ninjago movie i was gonna say the lego <laughs> franchise is more i think which is like yeah yeah lego movie absolute smash everyone loves it lego batman and lego ninjago sort of okay but diminishing return the same yeah, yeah. Mm. I even don't know if Lego Movie 2 is going to be any good. I haven't been wowed by the trailers. I really oh, hope quite. it is, but yeah. Hmm. Um, but, you know, 
Ne- negativity. Um, <laughs> we had to get some negativity in somewhere, so let's have it in speculating about the future because there's not much to... I think the only major negative I, c- I can think of with this film is that apart from uh, the post-credits, there's no J. Jonah Jameson in it. Oh, yeah, good point. Uh, is is Jonah a major part of Ultimate Spider-Man? I can't really remember. Not post... Um, not post-Peter. Not post-Peter. I mean, I mean, he pops up here and there. I mean, what's interesting with Jonah in, in Ultimate is that they did what they've been doing recently uh, in main universe with, with great success, actually. I think it's been a great direction to take Jonah in, although it's for different reasons in, in the current continuity. Um, in, in Ultimate... Basically, Jonah is, you know, your usual Jonah. He hates Spider-Man. There's a bit more complexity as to the reasons why, but essentially he hates Spider-Man. And then it's during the Ultimatum event, um, Jonah sees when New York's being flooded, um, there's a point where Peter's actually presumed, Spider-Man's presumed to have been killed in the flood. Um, and Jonah sees him like swimming through the flood, saving some people's lives before he then disappears. And Jonah writes this editorial about how he was always wrong about Spider-Man um, and how actually Spider-Man was a great hero, um, you know, becomes a, a vociferous supporter of him. And then I think eventually does find out his secret identity. Um, that's happened similar to that, but not for the same reasons has happened in main continuity recently. At the moment, Jonah knows that Peter is Spider-Man and is on his side and is almost as much of a hindrance by being a public cheerleader for him um, mm-hmm. as he was as an enemy. This this was all going on in Chip Zdarsky's uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man and Chip, the way Chip Zdarsky wrote Jonah and, and writing Jonah suddenly as being an overly enthusiastic fan of Spider-Man was brilliant and worked so well. Not that I'm saying that's something that this movie could or should have done, but it just would have been nice to have seen him in there, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, Seb, when you play the Spider-Man PS4 game, uh, jo- Jonah has already like been a disgraced journalist and right. instead has his own podcast, which is kind of an Alex Jones InfoWars style <laughs> podcast where he just is rants. Podcast, it, uh, I assumed it was a radio thing. Uh, people, he does have guests, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't know, but it's like it's yeah, I like guests on radio probably. shows, Joe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's. I mean, that's that's that's. I think where he is. He's he's been more a broadcaster in recent years, and I think he is a radio personality in the comics. He is at the, at the moment. moment. That's what makes me mm. think they've probably made that choice deliberately. Yeah, yeah, because he was it's... mayor of New York before that. Yeah. It's great, though, because just when you're aimlessly swinging around New York, I don't know, looking for another pigeon to, to hump, um, uh, Jonah will just pop up and give you, like, a minute of ranting about Spider-Man. <laughs> because oh, man, that's I'm... how the game keeps you engaged. I've just remembered the other thing Chip Starsky did, which was the... Um, and it was in his last issue, wasn't it, James? The little story that shows... Um, why Jonah Jameson gave Peter Parker a job in the first place, even though his mm-hmm. photos were terrible. Yeah, oh, that made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically because he had read about his uncle being killed, and he was like, oh. the kid needs a break. That's sweet. Yeah. Um, let's talk, uh, going back to the movie, let's talk about Kingpin. Um, I kind of get what you're saying on the design. Um, so for anyone who hasn't seen this yet, he is just ridiculously big, but with kind of like a little sunken head, um, and voiced <laughs> by Liev Schreiber. And I was trying, I was trying to figure out what Liev Schreiber was doing. It's, it's almost like a, like a Goodfellas style mobster, right? Yeah. 
Rather, yeah, so I mean, that's less, of... less, less so New York crime lord, more like gangster parody. It's a bit, it's a bit Paul Savino, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because just we're just going to be talking about him. <laughs> I mean, this we'll is become we'll become the Paul Savino podcast <laughs> randomly out of nowhere. This is because if no one else I... is talking about him, we will. This is sort of what I didn't like about the Kingpin was that they strayed so far from both the design and the personality of the actual Kingpin that I was just a bit like, what could could be anyone? It, well, it's almost uh, like they wanted to use like hammerhead or do you think they strayed from him personality wise or do you think that that they strayed from him because the voice performance well the voice performance I kind of think, was definitely i kind unlike. of feel like yeah i kind of feel like the way he's written i i understand i understand the motive so so his story is basically he was his vanessa and his son walked up in on him beating up spider-man they kind of were terrified and ran away, got into a car accident and died. So Kingpin has been trying to open up this universe, this multi-dimensional portal, so he can steal another Vanessa and another son. Basically, from another yeah, universe. he wants to grab another version from another universe. <laughs> God, how dark is that at the centre of a kids' movie? <laughs> at the very so, least you'd think it would so, be that so he dark. could go to another universe yeah no it's not that to steal them from there i do like the way that's played though as um he finally succeeds in bringing them into his universe and the first thing they see is him beating up spider-man yeah <laughs> god um but you know what i mean like on paper i kind of get that because uh, certainly what i know about kingpin is like he kind of thinks that he, he kind of has this self-righteous bent where he thinks that what he's doing isn't completely evil. He's just being a businessman and he mm. kind of justifies his actions to himself. He is, he's devoted to the woman that he loves. Um, and yet is also like a, a scary, terrifying crime boss. And I kind of feel like on, in the script, all of that's there, but it kind of plays strange because of the voice performance. I, I wonder if there's a, an element of this came from um, the Punisher Max series, which was the Garth Ennis kind of out-of-continuity Punisher run that he did for many years. Um, after Ennis uh, left that... Um, well, actually, I think it had ended, and then they, they did a kind of a, another run with Jason Aaron writing it and Steve Dillon drawing it. And it was weird because it was a Punisher comic, uh, but he stacked it with Daredevil characters uh, because it's got all of Kingpin, Bullseye, and Elektra in it. Uh, and it basically it does an origin for Kingpin and kind of introduces him as a new villain um, and also Bullseye and Elektra. And kind of they, the whole thing ultimately leads to the death of Frank Castle because this version of Frank Castle is the one who's like aged in real time and so is an old man. Um, but one of the things is that when you see Wilson's origin, um, there's basically a moment where everything kind of comes to a head and he's sort of about to take the step into being the kingpin, but one of his enemies has a knife to Richard's throat and Wilson basically makes the decision to not give in and so Richard gets killed and like he, he kills the guy and the guy kills Richard in the process. And it's this moment where... 
he's chosen to sacrifice his son for the sake of being the kingpin. And obviously yeah. this does kind of eat at him throughout and it ultimately ends up being the reason why the person who's been conspiring against him to bring him down is actually Vanessa. Um, but yeah, they're just it felt a little bit that that element of the kingpin's actually lost his family um, in that way feels like it maybe comes from there because it's it's not as much a defining element like when they i think they both end up dying in uh the uh bendis and brubaker daredevil stuff but that's much later in his life you know Mm. do you agree though that it it's the one that doesn't it's someone carries that doesn't quite work in this movie yeah i mean when i said before about characters that um (laughs) um are done better in the movie than in the comics. Uh, I mean, I was talking about Spider People, but uh, it's definitely not true of Kingpin. <laughs> yeah, Kingpin's I mean, been done better elsewhere than him. That's not to say this version of Kingpin isn't a good character within the bounds of the movie. It's just that as an adaptation, he's not the strongest, and as a design, he's a bit too jarring. Mm. You know, I feel, I sort of feel like they could have done a better version of the Kingpin, whereas with everyone else, it's like they nailed it completely. Mm. I do kind of like the the MacGuffin that it creates in the middle of the movie, though. So he's opened up the portal, um, and these other spider people have shot through, unbeknownst to him. And now he's figured out that he can do it, so they just need to create two or three days of wheel spinning so we can have our adventures, and then they're going to reopen it and that's when we all really need to be worried because while Kingpin might achieve what he wants to achieve, he could also kind of rip the universe to pieces, which is a, like, I think, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a tropey story. Like the, it's a story that we've seen before. Oh, open up a, 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 like a portal and all of humanity can be destroyed. We get it. Um, But then what they do with it I think from a visual perspective is they just basically use it as an excuse in the final act to go what if what if we've just got a blank canvas a real blank canvas playground to just do whatever we want with and we can really lay into the trippy visuals we can kind of create our own almost morphing geography throughout the scene we can have it so that Miles can look over and see his dad during this final showdown. But um, but we can equally also have it so trains just come out of nowhere and plow into people. <laughs> it's it's like a it's like an insect it's like a fairground dried on acid, that final final uh, fight sequence. And so much more imaginative than because it's an animation they're al- they're able to do it but so much more imaginative than a lot of what we see of these like drab third act showdowns in live action mm. in superhero live action if we're while we're on the subject of villain characters as well so somebody i i wanted to talk about was the prowler um was i mean there's a couple of things here which is firstly i i do like that they make him actively quite scary when he's being the Prowler, and I think that kind of... Terrifying. Especially because the Prowler is kind of a sort of a D-lister in the main universe that they rehabilitated a bit for Ultimate, but... Well, yeah, so this is... and I mean, what what I like about making him really, really creepy when he's in costume is that it means that when Miles finds out that it's Aaron, he doesn't... he's He can't just be like, it's me, because in that point when he's in his apartment, it's like, 
he could kill me even if he finds out that it's me. Mm. But I do think it's interesting that after that, they pull back a little bit. And well, this is this was the thing I made reference to before, where I feel like it's part of a bigger picture. Because in Ultimate, which which did establish this version of, of Prowler, because he wasn't Aaron Davis uh, in the main comics previously. He was Hobie Brown, is his name? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. not, not dissimilar character and setup-wise, but the point is, is that in Ultimate, the character of Aaron Davis was created anew to be Miles's uncle, and um, I do think it's quite funny, by the way, that, that um, if if Miles had his father's name, he'd be, he'd be Miles Davis. I have to assume that's a deliberate thing, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So in the comics, Aaron Davis is while to begin with he's played as that kind of he's the roguish uncle and you know he's a bit of a he's a bit of a geezer but you know he's he's kind of he is miles's uncle and he loves him and you know he's he is a criminal but maybe he's all right it quickly becomes apparent that you know he is just an absolute shit like he's he's really really horrible and unpleasant where and it kind of seems like they're potentially going this way that way with him when you see him as the prowler being quite kind of violent and and powerful but as soon as he takes off the mask as prowler to miles and you have that whole bit where he he can't um attack miles and he gets shot by kingpin and then the whole bit where he dies it feels like they're very deliberately softening him and the reason i think that's deliberate is because is so as not to have a version of Aaron Davis that is as irredeemably unpleasant as the comics version prior to <laughs> Donald Glover's version probably becoming more pre- you know we've already had Donald Glover playing a fun and likable if slightly roguish version of Aaron in the movies and anyone who sees this who doesn't necessarily know the background but who's seen both of these films and knows who those characters are now will probably make that connection between the two and go, oh, that's the same character Donald Glover played in Homecoming. Can't wait to see until they bring Miles in. And I think, let's face it, you can't imagine Donald Glover playing an absolutely awful Eve. That's not what you'd want Donald Glover to be playing. You want him to be playing the likeable version. So, um, yeah, it might not be, but it felt to me like that moment when they killed him, when they suddenly made him a little bit more redeemable that seemed like it was deliberate to yeah, just to thought, give you that positive again, perception of the character. It was so right for for the Miles character because I don't think it would have benefited Miles for, to have these two kind of his actual dad and his uncle, but these two father figures in his life who represent these two different paths. Um for like for for one of them just to have been so clearly wrong and again because his uncle Aaron for this version of Miles kind of has to act as the as the uncle Ben parallel again just for him to be an evil dude who died and Miles just be upset because they were related wouldn't have made sense and just narratively i think the tension there the tension after after Miles figures out it's Aaron and still being terrified, not knowing what his uncle will do. Then that moment you get when Miles takes off the mask and shows his face. Again, that's just like a, a heartbreaking, like heart in, like fist in mouth moment where you're like, oh God, he's just put himself so completely out there and he's put himself at the mercy of this guy who... As an audience member, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know whether his Uncle Aaron is going to... And the fact that 
yeah, this guy, yeah, he might be he might be a villain, but ultimately he cares more about his nephew. It does it does just lend that heartbreak to that moment and it and it makes Miles a more interesting, fully rounded character that he has both of those people in his life who've kind of shaped the guy he wants to be. Um or shaped the guy he is and now he needs to kind of figure out who he is for himself. I mean, it, it is... And it brings him and his dad together as well, I guess. It is something that improves on the comic's origin. In the, in the comic's origin, he has an uncle and his uncle dies, eventually. But mm. but in this, they, they sort of tie it more explicitly to the idea of the Spider-Man mythos, which is that you, you get your powers right. and then you lose someone. Well... What what I like about what I've always liked about Miles, um, and it and it while it while obviously you know a Peter Parker does die here, it's not really in the same way. The great thing about the original Miles premise is Miles Morales is a Spider Man whose Uncle Ben is Spider Man. <laughs> um, you know the character who dies in order to teach Miles that lesson about power and responsibility is Peter Parker, and it and that works beautifully. Yeah, because he gets this... his powers, and then it's for he's like hiding for several months, going like. I guess yeah. I'm a superhero, but I don't want to be. And then Spider-Man dies, and he's like, mm. "Oh, maybe." I and he has that, that amazing conversation with with Gwen and May at the at the funeral um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And you know that stuff does kind of happen, but you you know it's not having quite that same profound effect on him. Um, whereas, and so you know, then you do get Aaron, his uncle, dying um, more in an incident in the comics. That's I'm sure Joe, you you've read it, Joe, haven't you? So you know that like it's it's more an incident that actually he feels partly responsible for and it is a key part of his development but it's not his only uncle ben moment whereas here it is kind of his uncle ben moments mm. and it and it lands it really lands um yeah and, I, and again I, and i think it's i think it's got something to do again with the voice performance because mahershala ali is a, a fantastic actor and i think he really sells in that in that one scene where suddenly this character character has to reckon with his two worlds colliding and he has to reckon with them real fast because he dies <laughs> um and Mahershala, Mahershala Ali obviously for for our interests already has fantastic form in comic book stuff because he gives like one of the best performances in the I mean he's I don't know if he'd have stuck if he'd stuck around in Luke Cage Mahershala Ali was probably you know do, doing Kingpin level stuff in those first five or six episodes mm-hmm. um, I, I really like so I think good. I think it's probably the only thing that's a bit of a shame with with Aaron and how that relationship's done is I, I do kind of wish there's a bit more of it because I really like the stuff you get with them early on, the stuff about the shoulder tap and the hay, which obviously comes back at the end in a, in a really amusing way. Um, but yeah, just that, that you know, he, right? I mean, his his performance in that stuff, his his performance when he's just being Aaron, is is really great, and I think he he has he has really nice chemistry with the actor whose name I can't remember who plays Miles. Um, yeah, it just you know they, they it all clicks really nicely, and it's it is a shame not to. I mean, it, I say a shame. There's so much going on in this film that you can't really criticize it for not having enough of a particular thing. But I I, I do feel like they they do enough good stuff with Miles, his dad, and his uncle um, that 
there could actually have been a whole Miles Morales movie based around that character, that personality, that yeah, dynamic yeah, yeah. and that story without all of the Spider-Verse stuff going on. That, yeah, that's how strong absolutely. I think that stuff is. And the scene with, which they've they they tie themselves in knots to get to, or they tie, tie Miles in knots literally, uh, where Miles can hear his dad talking to him through the door, yeah, but but can't respond, and that being at a moment of emotional crisis for Miles because his uncle has just died, mm. and because he feels responsible for it. And there's because, nothing he would want more at that moment than to be able to talk yeah. to his dad about it, and he literally physically can't. Yeah, and but not only not only that, he's having an identity crisis of his own because the other the other spider people have just literally put the challenge to him and said, "Come on, if you're ready, show us," because we'd love to bring you along, but if you're not, we can't. And they've gone, all right, well, you can't. And they've left him behind. So he kind of, like, he he feels totally and utterly lost. And it's at that moment that his dad turns up and goes, you don't realise how important you are to me. And also, I get it. I get I get your frustrations. I, 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 he basically turns up and says... You're a teenage boy and you're a real person. You're like a real fully rounded person. And I understand all of the conflicts and I understand why our relationship doesn't quite always work. But I love you because I'm your dad. And and you see the spark in Miles and you see that he gets it as well. And you see that that determination to figure... Because like if his dad can get him, then he can figure it out as well. And... It's just such a such a well executed scene, and yeah, that that him kind of like resting on the door, and like even the the heartbreaking nature of it that like Jefferson knows that he's on the other side of the door, but thinks mm. that his son just can't <laughs> respond to him, and the fact that Jefferson's just lost his brother as well, yeah. And you feel all of it. I you did feel sort of, all of it in those characters. I did sort of watch that scene going like, just just bang your head on the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a couple yeah. of times. <laughs> but then you would have seen him with the, with the I know, webbing I know. on just, his mouth. It's one of those things where you're just like, it goes on just a little bit too long mm. for the conceit to work. <laughs> <laughs> I do like, I think one of the things I like the most about Miles is that he feels like a real teenager. We said this about the the Tom Holland Peter Parker feeling like a realistic, like, I mean, in, in as in much 20... as it's possible for me to judge what a realistic teenager is in the year twenty eighteen, <laughs> which is <you> yes, know, <laughs> we're old men. <laughs> but he also feels like he he has your standard kind of teenage concerns. I think that I think the Gwen stuff is really nice because it's. For a long time, not tied to the superheroics, he just sees this cool chick, and he's like, "Oh my god, look at that! She's she's super cool. I'd want to flirt with her." <laughs> Does it very badly. I did like that and they um, they worked in Gwen's haircut as like a plot. That's a plot point. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and when she turns up with like the the shaved head, and you just think like, "Oops." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really funny. 
And when, um, when when he asks if he's allowed to comment on it being a cool haircut, and she says no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I I just like that. You know, he's a kid that he's got his own stuff going on. He likes doing his art. He likes doing his, he, 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 and that's something that he can bond with his uncle about because his dad doesn't understand because because technically what he's doing is graffitiing, but his uncle gets it. His uncle gets it as a part of. The expression, but his uncle also doesn't provide some of the stuff that his dad does, and just and and like I love the fact that they constructed this soundtrack of basically what would this kid listen to? Oh, I love the soundtrack on this movie. The soundtrack's great, it's so good. It I is mean, it's a... way t- it's way too cool for for any of us. to I was going to say, yeah, it's it's it, it's not my taste and interest. And firstly, it fits the aesthetic of the film perfectly. But again, I said this mm. on Twitter that I am someone who likes both superhero movies and old white man music, but it is really nice to see a superhero movie with a soundtrack that isn't old white man music. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm someone who mm. likes superheroes and not old white man music, so I was <laughs> extremely happy. <laughs> what music do you like, James? I like, like, I have very esoteric taste, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> he likes the Pixies. He likes like, some old like white man music. And I like <laughs> indie and I like chip tunes. He likes old white man music, but some young music as well. Yes. I like young people's <laughs> music. That's cool. So Spotify did their, like, hun- you know, their, you, they give you, like, top 100 songs of the last year um, that you've been listening to. And mine is a lot of The Lonely Island. Um, <laughs> oh, Joe. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe. It's a lot of the Lonely Island. It's a lot of Hamilton, and it's a lot of the Greatest Showman soundtrack <laughs> with like with like your your occasional three lions thrown in there because that was something I listened to on repeat for a month. <laughs> I had a lot of Hamilton in mine as well. Yeah. Okay. So I had, some, I had of, some of Brad, cool the Groundhog Day musical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, uh, my my alarm every morning is Sunny and Cher. Um, because that's... <laughs> that would drive me properly mental. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like to the point where I do now hear it, and I kind of go, <laughs> but I feel <laughs> so like that's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's been my alarm for a solid five years at this point. <laughs> this is massively um, off topic, but yeah, what we're talking about—the soundtrack is good. <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack's really good, and yeah, I probably, I probably will listen to it, and I'll. Well, that, that, is normally, that is normally a signal that we're winding up the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that actually something that was... So so my screening, I went to one of the um, uh, the Medicinema. Uh, yeah, yeah Medicinema, the charity who um, they, they put on screenings for um, like children in, in, in hospitals, uh, like kind of p- people who are in like long-term care in hospitals. They put on film screenings for them. There's a very... An actually quite moving little film they showed beforehand with Simon Pegg in it, um, explaining what they're all about. Um, so yeah, the charity screenings that were the first public screenings of this um, were were for that, um, and presumably because it was um, for that charity and and in in terms of accessibility, I didn't know this until the film started. But it but my screening was subtitled. Um, while I can, I find subtitling, you know, when you don't need it, subtitling can be a bit annoying because it can sometimes ruin jokes before they've been delivered. But where it was incredibly handy on this screening was telling me the names of all the songs I didn't recognise in it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what Post Malone sounds like. Yeah, I didn't even know what a Post Malone was, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love how uh, James is judging us. <laughs> just keep it, keep relevant, come on. 
I've tried, but that pitchfork list is bullshit. The nineteen seventy five, <laughs> not not good. That's because guitar music is over. No, but they're not hip hop. Gu- no, they're not guitar music now. That's the point, and that's why they're at the top of the pitchfork list. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Star is Born soundtrack. That's in there as well. Um, Will Smith's Wiki Wiki Wild Wild West made it on there because I went on a Will Smith binge after our Men in Black episode. <laughs> Crazy ex-girlfriend, flight of the concourse. I'm real cool, you guys. I was gonna say it's a good job you're not worried about being cool because just and then it's, novelty, and then it's, novelty comedy songs. No, there's good stuff in there. There's a lot of Beatles and Marvin Gaye and Bob Dylan, old white man music. <laughs> and well, Marvin Gaye. Um, but 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 my point was, as much as I you know love the Guardians films and their soundtracks, that it feels like that is becoming what all of the superhero movies do with their soundtracks. And so irrespective of whether it's music that I would choose to listen to at home, um, that's not what should be on the soundtrack of every one of these films. And certainly <laughs> this, which is, you know, a film about young people. That That is a funny sneak preview to when you guys have seen Aquaman and we do that discussion. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few interesting drops in that one. Yeah. See, I think this is mostly the problem with my music is that it, most of it does come from movies I watch. So, like the the Rubber Band Man from uh, Avengers is probably on that hundred list because I listened to that after that movie. Um, maybe, maybe my music taste would be more interesting if the mu- if the music in movies was more interesting. <laughs> we can't all be as cool as James. <laughs> Okay, so um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is really great. And it's great all the way up to the end. And then it's even greater once Who you venture into the end have, credits. Well, actually, I mean, I think obviously in the end credits we get... Because we, we didn't talk about the Stan Lee cameo. Uh, and oh. then we get the Stan, Lee and, uh, the, the, the Stan Lee quote and the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko dedications, which really drove home that moment was just like wow so in 2018 we have had um the deaths of both stanley and steve ditko uh we have had a movie that features you know a, an absolutely fantastic live action movie that features a great version of spider-man getting tragically killed off at the end we've had spider-man breaking even further into the wider public consciousness by virtue of his uh massively successful video game that was largely acclaimed by everybody and then we've had it had the year rounded off by this movie it's like it has been an emotional year to be a spider-man fan (laughs) but the fact that this movie managed to make me teary twice because of stan lee was just and there was a there was a frisson in the room when he turned up for his cameo because it was like yeah, oh, wow. same in my screening. This is the this is the first. I imagine you know, every screening had that. Yeah, and it's um, it, it. We talked about this after we saw the film uh, off mic. Um, it it has that kind of added layer to it because this isn't just. It's not. This yeah. isn't just a Stanley cameo. It's a Stanley it, cameo that goes. Oh, hey, it's Stanley and. <laughs> 
let's have a kind of a little bit of fun at that other side of Stanley that everyone kind of knows as well. That Huckster side of him. Yeah, it's it's actually it's a Stanley cameo that's actually about Stanley. He's not just yes. playing mm-hmm. random old man in the street. It's in a Spider-Man movie, and Spider-Man is his greatest creation. Um, it's, <laughs> what? Not Stripperella. <laughs> um, it's it's what a month or so. How when when was it that he died? It was uh, even less time yeah, for me. Less um, it was still very fresh. I just it's it's one of those things. Um, you know, it's one of those things like the the last issue of of Phonogram being about the death of Michael Jackson, but also having a bit about David Bowie in it, and it coming out just after David Bowie died. Um, it's it's one of those things that you just. You know how how does the universe work in this way? Sometimes, um, I'm 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 reluctant to use the word glad. That's maybe not the right word. But for the first bit of public movie Stanley tribute after he mm. dies to be this, you know, is you couldn't think of a better one, really. Short of him being the one to defeat Thanos, I think this yeah. is going to be hard to top. <laughs> And yeah, you're right. The the quote in the end credits. I've, I've, really I know, and nice. you, you can obviously it's pretty obvious that you know the cameo would have always been what it was because obviously it was done for the film and it was done while he was still alive. But adding in that bit is obviously an addition for afterwards. Um, the fact that they don't forget to reference Steve Ditko as well is is very welcome. Um, and just yeah, again, just really drives that point home. But um, yeah, I, I like that they do that there so that they can then do the joke at the very end of the credits. And yeah, I mean, who would have thought? So, yeah, let's talk about that because let me, uh, Seb, let me talk you through me watching the end credits. So I'm looking at all the because I, I genuinely, before the movie, I think I knew the voices of the spider people. Uh, I did, I, I, there was a couple that I was pretty sure I'd recognize. Like, I, I couldn't imagine that that was anyone other than Catherine Hahn voicing Doc Ock. I had no idea who um, Wilson Fisk was. I had a decent idea with Chris Pine, but I couldn't be sure because surely I would have heard about that going into the movie. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of really interrogating the voice credits at the end of the movie. And then up pop, pops Oscar Isaac as interesting person number one. And I'm going, what? when? What? I don't, I, no, I can't. I've, I must. I'm gonna have to watch this again. I can't, and I can't believe that I would have missed Oscar Isaac because he has quite. Yeah, I feel like I would have recognised his voice. And then we get a bit further through the credits, um, and then there is a little, you know, uh, with thanks, uh, you know, permission for using uh, footage from animated Spider-Man. And I'm going, I don't remember that. I don't think I remember that either. Um, which I know that you've 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 since told <laughs> there me there was some the, in in the uh, so so let's start from the beginning bits yeah yeah which uh, which I yeah uh, just uh, and as you as I said earlier that was probably the bit when my screening was projecting <laughs> in the wrong dimension yeah um, so I get we get to the end and up pops. Uh, it's Spider Man. Is it twenty ninety nine? Twenty ninety nine. Twenty ninety nine. So, I've I've read Spider Man twenty nine. I've I've even read some like of his bespoke comics, but like he pops up throughout the Superior Spider Man stuff as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, and and I've I I I, I kind of feel like I know him ish, and I'm like, 
oh, cool. I mean, first of all, he has a cool costume. I can now tell that he's voiced by Oscar Isaac. And I'm going, what are they setting up here? Because he's like, they're kind of suggesting like he's the big character that's missed this. And surely like now we'll be setting up a Spider-Man 2099 sequel. And instead, (laughs) it is maybe the (laughs) finest joke in the movie. I mean, who would have thought... Uh, that Deadpool 2 did not have the funniest post-credits sequence of the year. How have we ended up in the same year having the Deadpool 2 (laughs) Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern thing actually be superseded? And I I said this to James, it was one of the first things I I messaged James when I came out was, I had spent the whole film, maybe not the whole film, but, but after the opening had established the kind of jokes that they were willing to do, I had spent the whole film waiting for a moment where two versions of Spider-Man pointed at each other and didn't get it. And I, I, and then so it got towards the end and I was like, okay, maybe that joke is just a little bit too internet and a little bit too inside baseball, so maybe they're not going to do it. And then, fucking hell, did they do it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's uh, I will say that my audience... I kind of think half went. Oh, this is weird, but it is it is funny. I don't know why it's funny, but it's funny. And the other half of the audience were like, <laughs> I was just just rolling around the floor, yeah. kind of going no. And it's, it's, the fact it's that a good way to find out how online your so audience long. is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've never watched that show, but I no. I'm, but it's, wait, you've it's, never yeah. watched that show? No, really. Well, I've, no. I've never sat down and watched a full episode well, of it. Not even as a kid. You must have, surely. I've no, seen there was that a, show. Because there was, because no, there was Joe, a 90s one. Joe would have had the 90s one when he was a kid. Uh, yeah. I guess, yeah, fair enough. Because yeah. I definitely watched that one. I definitely watched Amazing Friends, and then the 90s one was new to me when it came on. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I was... Uh, I understood that reference. <laughs> um, so. I understood that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also it just just to jar we're going to need to go right back to the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> and that's where we go. So I mean, James, we spoke about this at the end of the Venom episode. Obviously, Sony have plans to create a a Spider Verse and an an animated Spider Verse. But that what they're implying broadly is they're all. They're all part of the multiverse, right? Yeah. Because Venom Venom didn't just tag that clip on at the end. It said, meanwhile, in another universe. So they... <laughs> I think you're you're willing these two things to be more connected than they are. No, <laughs> no I don't think they're going to be connected. I just think that Sony is, is, is playing things kind of smart because if you imply that in the animated movies uh, and you... Impl- yeah, and you- okay and you imply any kind of connection to the live-action stuff, then maybe a Morbius movie doesn't have to be in the same universe as Venom. And, and also, maybe they can have Tom Holland fall through a hole in space and come and be in their movie for a bit. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Without or maybe affecting Kevin or may- Feige's plans. Yeah, or maybe you can have Tom Holland playing a different version of Peter Parker mm-hmm. in that universe. There's there's lots of there's lots of stuff you can do once you get an audience to buy into that idea, um, 
And for what it's worth, and like, you know, I said that you see the um, Spider-Man PS4 costume in there. And we've spoken on the podcast already that that costume has shown up in the comics as well. Um, so they're implying that the, you know, and, and they put that PS4 costume fairly central in Peter Parker's lineup of costumes. You can't miss it. So I think any kid who's played the game watching will go, oh, that that's the PS4 one right there. So I think that I think they've done a real nice job with that. And I will say just to actually go back to something that's in the movie hole. I love that Miles doesn't take one of the other costumes. I love that he makes his own. Well, he does take one of the other costumes. Yeah, he, he does, but I, it. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and fairly heavily customizes it. And I and I liked that because again it felt like he's forging his own identity. He's not becoming Spider-Man based off anyone else. I think I feel like he's, that's fairly central to the to Spider-Man's mythos is that he he home makes his costume at some point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it ties like, in nicely there you know, as well. Good and it also he... ties in nicely with with his the the kids and artists. That's what he cares about. That's yeah. what he's passionate about. So he designs his costume mm-hmm. and it looks fucking rad. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, do you know, because they so today they launched a new uh Miles ongoing series uh written by Saladin Ahmed and looking at the cover. Now I I like the Sarah Pacelli Miles design. Um, I think it worked really well. I think it was great when it was introduced in the comics. But I was looking at the cover of the new series today and I just thought, why have they not used the one from the movie? Because it actually the one from the movie makes the, the comics one look really dated already. Um, you know, the, Miles' one was cool at the time because it was black and red and it had the, the design and it you know, wasn't anything like a, a previous Spider-Man costume. But now... The, the movie one just fits Miles' character so much better that it was actually jarring to me to see him just in a normal Spider-Man silhouette in, in a black and red version of the costume. That's interesting. I mean, I've always liked that. Yeah, I have always liked that comics design, but yeah, I really did like him designing that and it having its own look here. Hmm. Maybe, uh, do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if it turns up in the comics before too long. <laughs> I mean, I, guys, I really hope this movie does well. Yeah. <laughs> the, okay, this is one thing that we should talk about, actually, is that one of the things that I'm slightly concerned about with this film is that I I expected that when it came out properly i would or maybe when it went on the Odeon's kids kids club or something i would take emmy to see it and she's five mm. i yeah. think that's too young for this film i think it's too much yeah yeah so i uh, we had this conversation james off mic again didn't we because mm-hmm. you said you you told us that and i was like that's always a bit of a red flag for me when a kids movie or a movie that looks like it's for kids couldn't be shown to Isn't. kids. I mean, I, I, I yes. was even contemplating taking Lois because Lois knows who Spider-Man is. She recognises Spider-Man um, and, like, excitedly points out Spider-Man when she sees him. And I got a birth, I got a Spider-Man birthday card that my parents got me that came with some stickers, and she's been sticking those stickers around the house. Like, she, she doesn't know anything about Spider-Man other than that she loves both the Miles and Peter 
costumes and knows them and has little uh, out of a vending machine uh, toy keyring things of them. So I thought, oh, it's a cartoon. It's a Spider-Man cartoon. Maybe I could take her to see it. But no, I mean, even even less so than with Emmy because you know Lo- Lois isn't four yet. Um, it's not at all. Um, it's you know I I can see it appealing to like eight nine year old kids. I think yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's, I think, that's I think it's I definitely breezy enough for them. Um, but yeah, it's it's maybe even maybe even a little bit younger. But it, it's more that I don't think it's for really young kids. Yeah, mm. I think In, it, it's definitely more of an all ages film than a kids film, which is something I'm not sure whether that's going to come across. But what you did say to me, James, when when you were saying that the first time was that you were worried slightly that yeah the 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 acclaim that this film has had is as a result of it having a specific storyline, <laughs> which is essentially aimed at underachieving nerds in their thirties, <laughs> aka Peter, every film reviewer, every white every, male every film podcaster. critic yeah. is Peter B. Parker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, I think I think it does enough to get away with that. But the cynical part of me is like, they, they sort of knew going in what that was going to do. They were like, "Oh, here's here's one for the dads." And and I, I kind of disagree with you there. I think it's part of the story, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's an overwhelming part of the story, really. And I and and certainly, I mean, I didn't watch it and go. The character I really invest in here is Fat Peter Parker, even <laughs> even though he is definitely the character who is closest to me. I was going to say, you are a little bit younger than me, but I was definitely watching it going like, oh yeah, I can relate to that, like, that guy. Yeah. I, did, I, I did actually enjoy all the fat jokes. My, in fact, my favourite <laughs> joke in that actually is when he, does, when he does that little montage of the like, uh, here's how my life's been going, and during that, there's a bit where he just says, like, made some bad financial decisions. Yeah. And it shows him sitting on his computer and he's, like, investing in bitcoins or something. I can't, I forget exactly what he was doing, but I laughed well, so hard at that. And the, the Spider-Man restaurant franchise that he'd invested in. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I've got to say, one of my favourite character moments is him as he's been sucked through the vortex trying to grab the slice of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's just delightful. But I think, uh, I, I don't think that any of that, I think all of those jokes around Peter Parker, Peter B. Parker, um, while I, I don't feel like it's one of those movies that's going, and here are jokes for the dads. The dads will absolutely love this bit. I think it's more that, I think I think kids will find Peter funny because he's a fat, useless Spider-Man. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and he's, not, a, and yeah. he's a goofy idiot. Mm-hmm. It's not it reference humour. Um, I mean, yeah. there are probably little bits of background reference humour, but the bits that, but the jokes are character jokes, and it's always you know anything that is good at appealing to all ages like that. You'll you'll generally find that the jokes are jokes about the characters. It's not here's a thing you recognise that we're referencing in a funny way. Yeah, so I, I, while I think that tonally this movie is probably for, yeah, kids like six, seven, eight up, um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think that it's not a movie for kids by any stretch. It's just that they, yeah, slightly older yeah, kids. I mean, mm. the good news for Sony is that people won't realise that until they're in the film. <laughs> <laughs> So they're already spending the money. 
<laughs> but oh, it, I, genuinely, my concern is more that older people who would appreciate the film will be put off by the fact that it's a, an animated feature. I kind of feel like this movie is going to have legs over the Christmas break. The reviews are so good. Yeah. Uh, it, it got that Golden Globe nomination, which, I mean, fuck the Golden Globes, but it will... It does add this movie a bit of credence from a marketing point of view, I guess. Um, yeah, and I kind of feel like it's it's it, it strikes me as something that can work as counter programming to all of the other stuff that's out there over Christmas. And it's it's such it's such a busy Christmas period with the movies that are out there. But I I could see this over the over the course of the next six seven weeks making enough money that it turns into a hit and i kind of it, i think it launches against mortal engines this weekend and i think that it wins that competition personally we'll see though and the kids need new animated movie to see after uh ralph has finished breaking the internet so <laughs> i hope they enjoy, i i i hope i really hope they enjoy this mm-hmm. okay guys it sounds like that was spider-man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, what are we recommending our, our listeners go off and read off the back of this? Shall I just recommend all of all of Spider-Gwen, all of Ultimate Spider-Man, and all of the Edge of Spider-Verse stuff? Because I read them <laughs> I mean, I actually... And it helps me appreciate the movie. <laughs> former podcast guest Matt Looker did actually ask me for some recommendations he could pass on to a friend. The ones I went for were... The first two Miles Morales uh, trades, and possibly the third, but I think definitely the first two. I think Spider-Men, the first Miles and Peter crossover, and obviously... Mm. Which you've recommended on this podcast previously, actually. Oh, sure, actually. but that's... Yeah. Off the back of this film, that is definitely yeah, the one. Definitely. If you were going to go for <laughs> one thing, that's the one to go for. And yeah. also, I think I really enjoyed the actual Spider-Verse crossover. I'm not sure how it's collected. But it was one of those big sprawling things where just almost every part of it was great in its own right and made it into this really mm. entertaining whole. So, I I read all of it and thought it was fantastic. I would actually say go and read the Edge of Spider Verse stuff uh, because it's it's a real eclectic mix. But throughout there, you'll kind of get a good idea of what the comics have done with various different versions of Spider Man. Um, You'll see, and, and you'll see, you know, the introduction of some of the characters that show up in this movie as well. Um, and for, for for me, it was it was really fun just to see, oh, what's gonna, you know, which which version of Spider Man is going to be introduced next? I mean, a lot of them die. I seem to remember. Um, it's pretty. It's Spider Verse is a pretty dark story. Um, but yeah, there's characters you'll recognise and and different ones as well. And yeah, it's a fun little ride. I mean, I can't really add much more than that. I mean, we've we've had a lot of opportunity to recommend Spider-Man comics on this podcast. <laughs> are there any ver- are there any of this kind of story that have been done with other characters, Seb? Is uh, there is there a Superman version of Spider Verse? I don't. Not really. It doesn't really. Oh, uh, I, I actually actually I have a potential example. Go on. It's a. It's actually a cartoon. Um, there was a a straight to video Turtles movie called Turtles Forever in which the 
black and white comic versions and the 90s animated versions meet the 2000s animated versions in a big universe spanning crossover nice it's good fun there uh, there is a dc comics version now that i think of it actually which is uh the multiversity the grant morrison um crossover which which is is based on the premise of different versions of characters existing in in different universes and there's it, it has stuff that he's played with in in other bits of his work like he he did a fair bit of it in animal man and stuff like that but um it's probably the biggest exploration of um yeah, kind of, because generally when they've done, you know, you've had things like Infinite Crisis and Crisis on Infinite Earths, but they've not tended to be so much about. Uh, well, Crisis on Infinite Earths has obviously got like you know the the evil Earth and the the different the uh, the Earth One and Earth Two version of Superman and stuff. Uh, oh, uh, DC's JLA Earth t- Earth Two, uh, which dates from I think I've recommended it on the podcast before, and it dates from a time when there wasn't officially a multiverse in the same way. Um, but it's Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely doing a JLA story about an alternate version of the an evil alternate version of the JLA, and that's very good. Um, so it's but that's the thing. I mean, it, while done in different ways, I mean, certainly nothing that I think is quite as expansive as here are you know ten, twenty, thirty different versions of this character. But coming back to what I said about this film is what I love about superhero comics. And one of those things is alternate personalities and alternate universes. Mm. Um, that is, that is something I always love in my fiction. So, um, yeah. God, you could, you could have so many good pictures coming out of this movie. Couldn't you? <laughs> if only we hadn't. Yeah. It's a shame. The pictures is no more at the moment, I guess. I guess the pitch is kind of in limbo. Is it alive? Is it dead? <laughs> is it is, being... is it comic book dead? <laughs> yeah, is it comic book dead? Could it come back? I mean, like, it's it sounds like the more vocal listeners want it to come back. But, I mean, I guess we'd never really know unless we put it to a vote, and I guess that would never happen. There's no there's no real precedent for doing that in comics to determine the fate of, of something. No. <laughs> no. I guess we're stuck. It would be really nice, though, if, if you know, say, some if... if either people really wanted it to come back or that people felt so passionately that it should die that they take the guilt of taking it away out of our hands. I'll take the guilt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I mean, let's see what happens. I don't know. Have we, have we got any episodes that we tend to do like at the end of the year where there's a precedent for taking things to a vote with our listeners? I can't think, I can't think of anything. Well, I guess we'll just have to, we'll just just have to leave the pitch. Yeah. 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 Sorry, guys. Anyway, so that was this week's podcast. Uh, that was fun, wasn't it? Um, we ha- we have a very busy December lined up. Um, this was just the start of it. We've already had the Avengers Endgame trailer. We've got a new new release coming up very soon. In fact, James has referenced it already on this podcast. Um, <laughs> James has seen it. James has seen it. Yeah, <laughs> James has seen it. Joe, Joe has not asked James about it, but he's sure that Seb has. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh so yeah that that will be coming up soon on the podcast. Um also James is insisting that Seb and I watch Teen Titans go to the movies yep. before the end of this calendar year. Uh so so we'll probably we'll probably make reference to that at some point. And of course we've got our end of year's award specials as well coming up right at the end. So uh look forward to all of the hashtag content throughout the rest of December. It's gonna be fun. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, 
or your podcast app of choice. Oh, I did the old ones. Um, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Hey, you're looking for a Christmas gift for a nerdy friend? Well, head to our Redbubble store where you can get some great Seb Patrick designs. Um, if you would like to find more episodes of the show, you can head to cinematicuniverse.com. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse, or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. parents were of two different worlds, and I was a product of the love that they shared. A son of land, and a son of the seas. Yeah! Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time, with Aquaman. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.